are not here tonight because they are in Japan. And this would be the perfect opportunity for the NWO to strike. As a matter of fact, they have really kind of struck already. Take a look at what we are seeing right here. This ad ran today in the USA Today, put in obviously by the NWO. There you see them spray painting the Money Nitro logo, and they said while the WCW is away, the NWO will play, Larry. Well, you know, a parasite is a useless life form. It infiltrates a healthy species. It sucks its blood dry and does nothing in the end but destroys an organization that blood, sweat, and tears by a lot of athletes went into the New World Order. Hulk Hogan and the Outsiders, they're nothing but parasites. One man is here, though, the macho man Randy Savage, along with many other stars of WCW. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at the footage from Fall Brawl... Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? Oh, no, don't don't be like that. You know what you did since our last podcast. Oh shit, what I do? You joined the New World Order. That's just And now you're <laughs> sit, you're sitting here acting like everything's normal. <laughs> but we all know what happened. I am since part our last episode. I am part now of the parasitic organism known <laughs> yes. as the New World Order. You know, they they don't benefit this this planet at all parasites <laughs> they're only destructive well of course if you follow us on twitter or facebook you know what uh, we're talking about i recently uh joined the nwo dave was with me he got to meet all the same guys mm -hmm. he doesn't uh he didn't fork over the dough so he doesn't have the pictures to prove it but he was right there with me uh and we will we'll go over our conversations uh which I may have been the one that joined the NWO, but I think Dave was certainly the one who impressed them by not being a fucking loser <laughs> like I was. <laughs> but we'll talk about all that in just a few minutes. Because uh, before we get into today's show, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. Uh, or for Dave, you can follow him at Dave Amantorp, mm -hmm. two M's in Amantorp. Uh, and you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And of course, you can always email the show at 20yearsofnitro at gmail.com. So, yeah, before we get in our DeLorean and head back to 1996, why don't we talk about our time a couple weekends ago at Fortune Bania mm -hmm. up in Tower, Minnesota at the Fortune Bay Casino. Uh, this was an event that somehow... Did you alert me on Facebook or did I alert you? I don't remember. I think I f saw it and told you about it. Yeah, I can't... I don't remember it. It was a it's a it was a show at a casino put on by a local indie, uh, not a huge show. You know, we're in Minnesota. We don't. If you're someone on the coast and you're used to your indies bringing in big names, mm -hmm. that's not really the case here. We have kind of one indie that occasionally gets pretty big names uh, called Wrestlepalooza. They put on shows twice a year at First Avenue, and they've started putting on more frequent shows mm -hmm. um, with some decent names on those other shows. Uh, as well, but Wrestle Blues that kind of in January and June are sort of the big indie shows here. Uh, so I was really excited when I saw this Fortune Bania show that was going to have Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Eric Bischoff, uh, Sean Waltman, mm -hmm. 
help me out here. Brother uh, Brother Love. Mean Gene Okerlund. Mean Gene. Yeah, he uh, was there. Uh, Stan Hansen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry the Axe Henning, Kurt Henning's father, Curtis Axel's grandfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Tennille Dashwood. Yes. Ken the, uh, Anderson. Um, a, a lot of uh, Russell Palooza guys. Yep. Yep. Um, including Airwolf, Air, Airwolf the, our, our the Cannon, Darren Corbin, some of our mm-hmm. really fun local indie guys who are uh, like just really good. Talent. I think Darren Corbin uh, is just such a great heel. He's so much fun to watch in person. I've seen him at a. It's, he's like in a stable of like if you see a local wrestling show in the Twin Cities area. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I a few years ago I was going pretty regularly. It's been a, maybe a little bit, and I've fallen off. But if you were going to a show in the Twin Cities, Darren Corbin would be on that show. Yeah, like Darren Corbin, Eric Cannon, and um, Davari before. He yes, left. yeah. Before there, there was like there's a few guys where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, he would be on that show. Yeah, yeah Ar- uh, Arya Davari was the Wrestlepalooza champion, mm-hmm. and uh, actually, kind of when we were just starting the show, and went back when I had a, an older podcast. Uh, I would I talked to him at a couple live shows mm-hmm. about coming on a podcast, either my old one, the Bookends podcast, or eventually when we started this show. Uh, and in person, he'd always be like, "Yeah, man, that sounds great." And then I would send him Facebook messages, and he just no sold me. <laughs> and it's possible yeah. he was just flaky; he was tough to get a hold of, or he was like being polite in person, but wanted me to fuck off. Which, in his defense, I would not blame him. <laughs> uh, but as soon as he like got signed to the cruiserweight classic i was like well forget that because mm-hmm. he is he's he deserved to be in the ww i was really happy that he made it he was so much fun to watch yeah here. just this week he got like he got a full-on vignette on 205 live for his return so i saw that he's doing kind of a rich like a rich iranian immigrant gimmick yeah uh, which is something that he did a little bit in roh i don't think it ever made their tv okay he was doing something very similar to that though mm-hmm. he was like a iranian playboy flashing his money i always think it's funny um they don't do this in wwe but in the locals he would always be billed as from tehran iran yeah and it's like no he's from bloomington he's from like <laughs> a very nice suburb right. <laughs> he's probably never been there there's a really good chance uh so we went to fortune bay we got up there there was a little bit of a convention now i had paid uh, a decent chunk of money. I, I don't even probably want to repeat what it was for th- what was billed as like an NWO VIP uh, meet and greet, which mm. was before they opened kind of the convention, which was just one sort of hotel ballroom. Uh, you could go in and meet Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Sean Waltman, and Eric Bischoff, take a picture, mm-hmm. and then you would also get like a, a little ticket for an autograph from each one of those gentlemen. Yeah. So I was, uh, that was quite expensive. Uh, so I went in by myself. I went and did that. I took my picture. That's the picture that's up on Twitter and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were all very gracious. Scott Hall told me I was wearing a cool T-shirt because I had on my Wolfpack. Yep. Uh, or Wolfpack. I'm sorry. I, I Sean Waltmanized that one. It's Wolfpack. <laughs> uh, and he's only a cool shirt. They were all very gracious. Kevin Nash seemed like maybe he was the only one who he got like the feeling maybe he didn't want to be there. But mm-hmm. everyone like Sean Waltman, super nice. Bischoff, super nice. Scott Hall, in person, like, what a charismatic fucking guy. Yeah. Just amazing. I It was hilarious because we um, we got into the room about 15 minutes late because he was running late, which was, like, Scott Hall being the one to hold it up was right. hilarious to me. Yeah. Uh, just delightful. I was like, good. I've been on the receiving end of, like, Scott Hall showing up late to something. I like that. That's, like, <laughs> right. it's an authentic wrestling experience. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like after me in line or maybe it was right before me, there was a dad and his young son and 
they took their picture, and then afterwards, Scott Hall just goes, yo, let's see how you sell, kid. And he grabs this kid in a headlock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a very light headlock, but he's doing the headlock, and this this kid's dad wants to take a good picture. So he's yelling at the kid, sell, sell. And he's not even explaining what selling is. This is like right. a seven-year-old kid. Well, it's like the dad's, like, mark, marking out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it was just so cute, and it was just so much fun to see how much I think Scott Hall genuinely enjoyed interacting with the fans mm-hmm. and again um, no one else was rude by any stretch of the imagination but he was just the one yeah who seemed to be having a, a really good time yeah i and i i just for myself i came away like overly impressed with sean waltman yeah especially because you could tell that he is like really like matured and probably like humbled by a lot of his past experiences yes. also he's ripped as fuck yeah he no, looks... he's crazy <laughs> ripped, and he has his uh, he has his like uh, the emotional support dog too. Yes, yes. But he was just like I don't know. It's, it's like this is this will sound goofy, but like he just had like this really like peaceful, pleasant like aura around. I agree. Him. No, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and like I, he was I, very content. Yeah, like he was very nice to you. I didn't even have a, a ticket or anything, but he's yeah. like he made sure to shake my hand too, just yeah. just because because it seemed like he was just like happy to be like in the state that he's in being able to see fans and everything. So I was just like super impressed by like, cause I, I mean, I never really had a good impression of what Sean Waltman was probably like oh, sure. in real life. Yeah. So I was just like kind of blown away by him. Well, not to go down a rabbit hole too much, but you got to remember like in 1996, how young that guy was. Mm-hmm. Like I was a dickhead when I was younger too. And I was not very famous and rich. So, right. like, I can excuse a lot of his behavior. Oh, and we should mention. Or not excuse, but understand. We should mention that we talked to him about what we talked about in the last the episode. Yeah, so let's go in order. So, okay. first, we lined up for Eric Bischoff. Cause, so, after the meet and greet, mm-hmm. the, the VIP thing, they opened up the ballroom to everyone. Yep. And at that point, I could use my uh, coupons or tickets or whatever to get autographs. And now what I was having them autograph, I bought these wonderful prints by uh, from an Etsy shop called Art by heisty or with heisty i should look that up and maybe tack it on at the end but mm-hmm. uh, it's h-e-i-s-t-y and if you look through the guys i follow on twitter uh he has a twitter account and i'm sure that links to his etsy shop mm-hmm. he's got an instagram that i also follow just a hell of a guy i've been messaging with him a lot a uh, little bit on etsy a little bit on instagram he's just a really really kind guy and he does some great work and i decided a few weeks before the show when i found his prints i thought these are what i want to have these guys autograph I can kind of frame them and put them on my wall. I'm going to get more done at StarCast by the same artist. So I'll have kind of a wall of the similar art all autographed by these guys. It's going to be great. Right. So we're waiting. We, we get Eric Bischoff's. Now I'm telling you in line. I'm talking a big game. I'm like, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to tell Bischoff that we've got a Nitro podcast. He might get a kick out of that. <laughs> well, I, mean, and you're, I, I feel like you keep skipping the fact that you met Mean Gene. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did that beforehand. Yeah. Got a picture with him, shook his hand. But, I mean, that was kind of straightforward. But it was also, I just was kind of like a little bit in awe because I heard his voice. Oh, it's amazing to hear him talk. I was wearing that NWO shirt, and he said something like, oh, NWO representing front and center. And he just has, he showed up in a wheelchair. He has like kind of, um, like one arm is very swollen, and it was the one he had to write with, so he was writing very gingerly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so his health, I, he drove himself. I, I actually saw him kind of parked outside the arena, but, uh, you know, he's he, he's a very old guy, let's just be frank. Right. Um, so just, but to hear that voice come out, and that voice sounds the way it did 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Yeah. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was just, like you said, it's an out-of-body experience 
meeting me and Gene Okerlund and hearing him talk. It was just yeah. what a privilege uh, that was. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Thank you for, for stopping on that point. So we get up to Eric Bischoff, and uh, he's not he's not mean at all. Right. But he just, as opposed to Waltman, he radiates a sort of energy that's like, don't fuck with me. I don't want any of your bullshit. Like, right. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be pleasant. Mm-hmm. I will sign your things, and I'm, not, I'm certainly not going to be rude or anything, but it just right. was like, oh, I do not want to tell this man about my podcast. Right, yeah. He will look at me, and he'll say the right things, but in his head he'll be thinking, what a Mark dipshit. <laughs> right. And I am. I am a Mark dipshit. I am not even going to argue the point. That's fine. Which, which would be, like, it'd be ironic, because he was wearing his 83 Weeks shirt, too. Yes, yeah, so he was wearing an 83 Weeks polo. A nice fan brought him an, a custom 83 Weeks uh football jersey yeah. that he went and put on kind of backstage and then came back out which so he was being very kind like putting on that jersey that someone brought him yeah he was being great so i don't want anyone to misinterpret this and think i'm saying eric bischoff was rude i just got the like i went jelly need when i got up there and thought no way am i telling this guy about my little fan podcast right yeah so i had him sign the print uh he kind of looked at it you know i he didn't really say anything about the art but he kind of looked at it for a minute like what is this and it it's a really cool kind of minimalist print of him standing in front of a motorcycle from a nitro that we haven't got to yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it, it's actually one of my favorite of these prints I bought by this heisty guy. Um, so he signed it. Then we went next, I believe, was Waltman. Waltman, yeah. So we got up there. Uh, and yeah, so I said uh, I had him sign. Uh, oh, I, I got a the one I got of him was actually him as one, two, three kid hitting the moonsault on Razor Ramon yep. uh, in the, the episode of Raw that turned him in from, like, the the kid to the one, two, three kid. Yeah. Kind of what launched his career with the WWF mm-hmm. and then kind of in the world in, in general. Uh, so he he thought the print was cool. He signed it as one, two, three kid, which I thought was really neat. Yep. Uh, and then I said, you know, we actually – I didn't say we have a podcast, but I said my friend and I, would we've been watching all the old Nitros in order, mm-hmm. and we just watched your debut – when you hit the button and dropped all the flyers. Right. On that he said, oh, God, what the fuck was up with that? <laughs> right. He was like, first of all, that thing was nothing. It was just like a box with like a stupid button on it. Yeah. He's like, and then I was like, yeah, we, we you and I talked about how he pushed it. And then there was such a delay before they dropped that it kind of like ruined the whole bit. And mm-hmm. he was like, yeah. I never got what the fuck was up with that. Like, what a stupid debut. <laughs> right. So that was really enjoyable as, as a people who had just done a podcast about it to hear him kind of talk about. Yeah. He was not particularly impressed with that de- debut <laughs> right. himself. Yep. So that was pretty fun. So, so far, two for two, things are going okay. Right. <laughs> They're about to go downhill, though. <laughs> we get up to Scott Hall. He's great. He's so charismatic. He actually wants to talk with you. Like, you don't have to engage him. He's like, he's telling me cool shirt because I'm wearing the Wolfpack shirt. He said that when I took the picture. He said it again. It was just like a way of him opening up conversation. Like, hey, cool shirt. And oh, no, he said that later, actually, because that's kind of important, uh, germane to the story. So I forget. We we signed the thing. Oh, so he's yeah, he's signing the picture. uh, And it's one of him tossing a toothpick at Bischoff. Mm hmm. And he kind of looks at it. He's interested in the art more than probably the other guys. He's really looking at it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is your Nitro debut. And he goes, oh, no, this is Big Kev's debut as he's signing it. And it's not because he's wearing the jeans and the jean vest that Mm -hmm. are definitely from his debut. 
But look, I'm not going to argue with him. Right. No. So I'm just like, yes, Mr. Hall. <laughs> Whatever you say, Mr. Hall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he signs it. He's very cool. Uh, and then he has some words for you. Yeah. So leading up to this, because um, I just I kind of just picked a pretty much a random shirt, like a wrestling shirt. So I was wearing this one that's like the Legends of Minneapolis. Uh, has a bunch of AWA guys like Vern Gagne, uh, the Road Warriors. Crusher, uh, Baron Von Raschke, yeah. which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah, um, which I, I kind of need to get to at this point because uh, that's when we were in line before we met Scott Hall. That's when I noticed that Baron Von Raschke was in the corner. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't know he was here, but my shirt has him on it. I feel like I really should give him to sign this shirt. Right. Like, it's just the c- craziest coincidence. So... One and and again, I'm just I'm I'm kind of just in line with Tim um, as he's getting the signatures, and I just you know say like hi or or whatever, and um and after we after we we start to we start to like go on to the next line. That's when Scott Hall was like, "Hey, hey man, let me see your shirt," and I was like, "I was like, oh yeah," and I was explaining. I mean, I don't know why, but like I told him what it said on the shirt. I mean, I'm sure you can read, but that's just what I did, and then. Um, I would, then I was saying like Baron Von Raschke's on here and I was pointing, I like uh, pointing towards him and he's like, yeah, yeah, he's here. You should get that sign. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Is what what he said. So I got like the big, like Scott Hall seal of approval there. So I was like, oh, okay. Well now, now be ridiculous if I didn't like get that pull. Right. (laughs) So you're riding high. You've just had a conversation with Scott Hall, you look cool to Scott Hall for even having that shirt, I feel like. Right. <laughs> like, he's not like, Dave Amaterp, you're a cool dude. But, like, it, it's going really well. Yeah. Then he says to me something like, as we're walking away, and that's what really tripped me up, because I've kind of, like, moved my brain on. Uh-huh. And he says something like, cool shirt. He says, like, you too, cool shirt. Or, like, you've got a cool shirt too or whatever. Right. Uh, referring to my Wolfpack shirt. Mm-hmm. And I turn around, and I have bad hearing. And I just wasn't, like, paying attention to him anymore. So I said, what? <laughs> and he said, cool shirt. And I said, thanks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and we walked off, and I immediately turned to you and was like, thanks, dude, <laughs> right. is what I just said to Scott Hall. <laughs> and I am just embarrassed. And I know instantly that I'm going to be thinking about that conversation the rest of the day. I am right. not going to be able to sleep at night because I'm in, in my head I'm just going to be going, Thanks, dude. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Little did I know, I was about to get much worse than that. <laughs> we get in line for the coolest motherfucker on the planet, Kevin Nash. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. In his mind. I'm not... I just... he The guy is, like, tall. He's good-looking. He's confident. He's a lot of things that old Tim Rudd isn't. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we get up there, and the weird thing was that I... I don't even remember what it was. Oh, you know what? I So I had planned to say to him, I really appreciate that you've kind of talked about a lot of issues on your Twitter that probably people would not expect you to talk about. He's a very, like, progressive, woke dude. Yeah. yeah. And that was, the whole time, that was my plan mm-hmm. on what to talk to him about. For some reason, at the end, like, right as we got there, I deviated from my plan. Yep. And I thought, you know what I want to talk to him about is this movie that I recently watched him in. And in my head, that movie was, um, oh no, I can't, uh, uh, Mulholland Drive, the David Lynch movie. Yeah. And I say, hey, I was just watching that uh, David Lynch movie, Mulholland Drive, uh, 
that you're in. And he looks at me and he's like, I'm not in that. <laughs> right. He's not even like confused. He's just like, no, yeah, I'm he's not like- in that. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not? And he's like, <laughs> no. Like, I know what fucking movies I've been in. He's right. polite about it, but yeah. he's definitely like, no, I said I'm not in it. Like, what do you want from me? <laughs> right. And I'm just like staring. I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't know, man. I must be just thinking of something else. And he signs the thing. Mm-hmm. Did he say anything to you, or was was he just shocked that he was talking to such an idiot? Um, I was too busy just being distracted trying to think of what the fuck you were thinking about. Because I'm like, Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Like, where did that come from? Well, for at first, I assumed that you were right, and I'm like, I don't remember him being in that movie. Yeah. So I was like thrown off. I didn't. I don't recall like any really saying anything to him. So I'm like determined to at least figure out what I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. So I get on IMDb and I'm looking through his filmography, trying to figure out what the fuck am I actually thinking of. Yeah. And in my head, there's a little part of me that's like, he was in Mulholland Drive. <laughs> that's... I'm not gonna go prove it wrong to him, but I need Dave to know that I was right about this. <laughs> that's. That son of a bitch was in that movie. <laughs> so what I actually look through, and when I stumble, I finally stumble on the movie that it was that I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. and I've got to be the only person in history that confused these two movies. It was Grandma's Boy, <laughs> right. the Happy Madison movie yeah. with Adam Sandler's buddy in it. Now, what I think happened was, in that movie, there is... Oh, my God. I'm Okay, I'm thinking of it now. I, I did not make this connection until right now. So in Grandma's Boy... Kevin Nash plays like sort of a tough mover who mm. like shows up to force him out of wherever he's living before he moves with the grandma. Yeah. In Mulholland Drive, there's some kind of similar scene. I don't remember the details, but I am right now remembering that the person who is actually in Mulholland Drive that I was confusing with Kevin Nash is Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> okay. So if Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> is not in Mulholland Drive, then I'm really full of shit. <laughs> but that's there's some kind of similar scene, and I remember being like, who is that? That's someone who's kind of famous and looking it up and being like, oh, it's of course, it's that person. Mm-hmm. That, so Mulholland Drive, Billy Ray Cyrus, I, I almost feel like buying a picture with Kevin Nash at StarCast, and I don't even want the picture. I just want to be like, hey, I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> I said you were in Mulholland Drive. I want you to know that I was getting your scene in Grandma's Boy confused with Billy Ray Cyrus's scene in Mulholland I mean, I... Is that a good idea, Dave? Should I do that? That seems like a good use of money. Yeah. <laughs> really does. I think it's like 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the day was not over. We we then went and talked to Baron Von Raschke. Mm-hmm. He signed your t-shirt uh, over his own picture on the shirt. Yeah. He was sitting with his wife, and they were very gracious, and... I told him about uh, I'd seen him in a play at the Minnesota Historical uh, Theater, mm-hmm. History Theater, that was based on his life that he starred in, I think had a hand in the writing of. Yeah, and um, and, imme- and immediately, because I, I had the thought of like, is it a f- would it offend him if I said that I didn't know he was going to be here? But then I was like, well, no, that's just how the story goes. I didn't know he was going to be there. So then I just kind of explained it, and he was like, oh, okay. Didn't didn't really didn't get much of a reaction, so but but that's fine. But uh, no, I really that was like that was pretty cool, like being able to meet him, especially since like the older guys they were up against the wall yeah. and uh, and there just was no line for them. So right, it's like I could go at any time. Um, yeah, and yeah, and his uh, a couple of them had like their wives with them, and I think it's a yeah. little bit to kind of like 
manage the lines and the money and things like that. Yeah. But, um, she was also, she also just seemed very pleasant and just like happy to like, Oh, you, you know who he is, you know, <laughs> that yeah. sort of thing. Now you may also remember that this is around the time I made another fatal mistake. <laughs> the whole, and this is all happening in like an hour and a half. Yeah. Like just one incident after another for you. Yeah. So <laughs> next to Baron Von Rashi's table is Larry, the ax Henning. Mm-hmm. And there's some kind of, I forget what it even was. I think it was a, a print that had him, Kurt Henning and Curtis Axel yeah, all were... in the same picture. And I said to you, I pointed at it and said, that looks like it must be a Rob Schamberger, the WWF or oh. WWE like in-house artist. Yeah. Yep. And Larry's wife, Kurt Henning's mother, Mr. Perfect, my arguably one of my favorite wrestlers, certainly my top three. Mm-hmm. She overhears this and says like, oh, yeah, didn't he do a good job? And she kind of beckons me over and is like, look at this other one. And it's the one of Kurt Henning. And she's like, didn't isn't this perfect? Didn't she capture the soul? Yeah. And I'm like, this is amazing. She's talking about her like this artist capturing the soul of her son in this painting. Mm-hmm. I, and I say, yeah, I actually have a print of that in my office. And I do. I have I have Schamberger. I have um, Bobby Heenan. Um, Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair yeah. all framed very nicely in my office. Mm-hmm. I bought them from Schamberger himself at like a Wizard World, so he's signed all of them. And uh, and it didn't really dawn on me that she was being very honest, but she was also trying to get me to buy that print, right? So that Larry could autograph it. And it didn't really catch uh, it didn't catch up with me until Larry Henning himself points at this like sheet that he's just kind of printed out like seemingly from his computer at home mm-hmm. and it's just got like some random pictures it's got like him and then i think one of mr perfect and then um him sitting a row behind donald trump like he's not shaking trump's hand he's just in a picture that trump is also in i didn't notice that yeah because he said something like me there's my son, Mr. Perfect. There's the president of the United States. <laughs> and there was one other thing on the picture. I forget what it was. Yeah. And he's like, says something like this, an autograph on here and a picture with me for $20. And I don't really want that. Right. And But there's this like Midwestern guilty Catholic boy part of me that can't just say like, no, thank you. Because mm-hmm. I feel bad for that. Right. And the fact is. Cash wise, I don't have that anymore. I've spent all my stuff on uh, other stuff around there, autographs and such. I hadn't really planned. Yeah, and then I then I gave you some of my money too. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we were kind of. This is like towards the end of our theoretical like venture around here. We were getting low on right. cash. So I I say you know uh, I don't have enough anymore. I've got and then I like just start to panic and I'm like I've got ten. You can just have this ten dollars. <laughs> Is a thing that I said. <laughs> you could just have this money, which was essentially my say way of saying, if I give you ten dollars with this horrible, awkward conversation end. Right. And then his wife is like, Well, you can have an autograph and no picture for ten dollars. And I think, great. Yeah. And she looks kind of offended that I like don't want a picture with him. And it's not <laughs> that. I just right. like I just want to leave. I don't like this is so <laughs> uncomfortable now. Mm-hmm. And he we've had this a short conversation with him, but he's kind of not He's getting older. He's not completely all the way there, I feel like. Yeah. And she's trying to explain to him, he doesn't want a picture. He just wants an autograph. And he's looking at her like, 
why doesn't he want a picture? Because to <laughs> him, I'm just some guy who's like, well, I don't want a picture with you. God, no. <laughs> right. He just doesn't, hasn't like quite cottoned on to the fact that like, no, it's just that I don't have $20 in cash. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I went from thanks, dude, mm-hmm. to telling Kevin Nash that he was in Mulholland Drive, uh-huh. contrary to his own memory, to insulting Larry Henning to his face somehow, <laughs> all because I just wanted to point at a thing and saying, oh, Rob Schamberger painted that. Yeah, I just, it, what it was reminding me of was when we were in the line with Scott Hall, is that he had a, a print of um, of him and Kurt Henning together back from like the late 80s when yeah. they were tag team champions. And I was like, that's really cool. But I was like, don't point at it or I see they're going to expect you to buy it. <laughs> And if I would have verbalized that yeah. to you beforehand, maybe that would have helped. But I, that was just like kind of a thing. It's just like they don't want you to appreciate the stuff they have. Right. They want you to either buy it or to fuck off. It much. is a high pressure sales situation. And mm-hmm. I always fold in those. I do not right. like high pressure sales situations. <laughs> so that was about it for Fortune Bania. You took a picture with Tennille Dashwood. That yeah. Was, that was really the end of our adventure. Uh, the only other thing that Barrett's <laughs> mentioning was... Due to some miscommunication, some memory issues, uh, we did not have our tickets for the event. For the actual event. For no. the wrestling that was held mm-hmm. afterward. Uh, but it is a like three and a half, four hour drive, and we both had to work the next day. Yeah. Uh, so there was no like staying at the hotel or any, that was not an option afforded to either of us. You were starting a brand new job the next day. Yeah. So there was no like calling in sick and just hoping for the best. Like, right. no, this was... So we... We drove three and a half, four hours separately, I might add, because you were coming from Wisconsin. I was coming from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were there for about an hour and a half, and then we each just turned around and drove home. Yeah. But no, it was, I thought that just like that little time was a lot of fun. And that that's kind of like with the talking about the uh, StarCast stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like it's actually pretty fun to, to meet these people and, and to like just get to recognize that they're like actual people and not not like figments of uh just entertainment like they're actual people um but i was also going to say that like the the whole uh nwo they got in the ring um during the show itself to announce that there's going to be fortune bania 2 next year yeah there was also i saw uh at least in according to the promotion which is heavy on wrestling mm-hmm. uh they said that Arik cannon was inducted into the nwo the first new member of the nwo in 16 years oh my so i don't know how canonical that is i don't know who controls who's officially but hey if scott hall and kevin nash can't tell you officially that you're in the nwo right who can you know <laughs> right so, uh, oh, and also, I'm sure we were gone by then, but I'm sure they announced that I was officially a member. I mean, I think oh, we yeah. can only assume that they told everyone. Also, Tim Rudd of 20 Years of Nitro. Yeah. Uh, canonically is in the New World Order. Well, you have the photo to prove it. So <laughs> Yeah, just they, try they and stop me. Yeah, they can't deny it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> that long aside, uh, aside, I guess, mm-hmm. today is Monday, September 23rd, 1996. And we are coming to you live from the Benjamin Jefferson Civic Center in Birmingham, Alabama, in front of 4,308 fans for a total gate of $59,000. I, I would just like to make another note, which I do almost every week, that the uh, the red and yellow Hulk Hogan and also the blonde Sting are both still in the intro video. Yes, that is true. <laughs> uh, this is the 51st. 51st. Hey, it's the 51st. <laughs> 
This is the 54th episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and we are continuing the build to Halloween Havoc, which takes place six weeks from now on October 27th. Yeah, we, we got a ways to go still. Again, my wife's 14th birthday, be sure, and I'm sure she's uh, probably oh. into some like Nirvana at this point, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know her. Uh, slap bracelets, maybe? <laughs> All right, so before we begin our episode recap, I do want to start off with a pre-show uh, happening that transpired. Uh, oh. Eric Bischoff will mention this on the show, but mm. I, I think I'll just mention it now because chronologically uh, it happened before we went on air. Uh, Rey Mysterio Jr. and Super Colo apparently had a hell of a dark match before the show uh, with, of course, Mysterio winning, but Kalo dislocated his elbow and was rushed to the hospital He's expected to be out of action for a while, although they don't think it's going to be too bad. However, we will not actually see Super Clo return until January. Oh. So it ends up being somewhat a serious injury. Yeah, I just, when I read about that, I just remember that the, there was a, the few weeks with, like, Fall Brawl and the night after about, like, this guy's going to get himself killed. Yeah. And he, he's close. He's close. <laughs> he's working his way up. I, but I just... It's too bad it's a, it's a dark match and we don't we're not able to see it for the fact that like he dislocates its elbow, but the results show that they went to a finish. They didn't stop the match. Right. So however he was able to get through that injury, that's like I was borderline thinking about him being the MVP for this week. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, well, he's not on TV, so yeah. I feel like that's not very fair. Yeah, he's actually uh, rushed by ambulance to a local medical facility. Uh, after the show or like during uh, the show because Eric Bischoff kind of gets word to us as it's going on yeah and yeah he'll be out of action for a while now uh just a teaser later for observe this that is not close to the biggest off-screen injury news that we are going to have tonight oh I I don't even remember what this is you got that to look forward to oh goody Tony Schiavone welcomes us to television's number one wrestling program and introduces himself and his partner, Larry Zabisco. Tony reminds us that many top WCW stars are in Japan, and this would be the perfect time for NWO to strike. Oh boy, I hope those NWO guys don't show up. <laughs> Certainly not in the second hour when we're head-to-head with Raw. That would be just too bad. Man, and I'm wondering when Macho Man's going to have a match scheduled. <laughs> <laughs> he is positively giddy over the chance that the NWO is going to attack at some point. It, but it's just like, and this is kind of a theme for their whole show. Yeah. Is that they're like, okay, we're accepting the fact that the NWO is in control, even though they're not like officially. Right. It's just like when they show up, we're just letting you know, we're going to lay down our weapons. <laughs> they get, to, you yeah. can take, you can take Macho Man. Yep. That He's yours. You know, it just, it, it seems like, in in just like in the storyline way it's like what on earth are they doing they're just gonna get macho man killed absolutely uh tony even shows us the lengths that the company underwent to promote the fact that many of their biggest names would not be on the show by showing us a usa today ad that the company took out in the guise of being an nwo ad that says when wcw's away the nwo will play live tonight eight seven central (laughs) it's kind of interesting because here you've got uh, what would appear to be a week of weakness with many of your, like, Ric Flair, Sting, all these guys are gone. Yeah. And you're not only admitting ahead of time that they're going to be gone, mm-hmm. you've found a way into turning it into a strength. Check out our show 
a lot of the guys you like won't be there. Imagine right. what kind of crazy shit's going to happen. <laughs> right. So I I kind of applaud them for turning this like um liability into a marketing opportunity. Yeah, it's just I'm I, not saying it's a creative success. I think we'll talk about that later. But certainly I think you it's, you know, I like the way that they're trying to play it to their advantage. Right. I did, I just think if it didn't feel so like artificial sure. in the way that they do it, um, especially since I thought I, I couldn't remember from like a week ago or so with the observe this where it, it seemed like that they t- uh, took this approach at like the 11th hour or something like that. As far as like, well, we need to make sure to like get this notice out and, and make sure that people think of it as like the NWO episode when. No, because they've been talking about it. They actually I forget exactly what, but they mentioned this even a few weeks ago. That a lot of the guys were going to be out of town. Okay. Um, so this is not... It's something that they've actually been promoting for a little bit of time now. Okay. Larry says that the NWO are nothing but parasites sucking at the blood of WCW. Tony promises us that the Macho Man and many other WCW stars are here. He says that Randy looked good at Fall Brawl against the Giant, leaving out that he lost the match and was attacked afterward. <laughs> right. And he's primed and ready for what's apparently now called Slim Jim's Hollywood Havoc. Halloween Havoc. Yeah. Not Hollywood Havoc, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry. I made a note of that. There's yeah. like every time they mention Halloween Havoc, it's not Halloween Havoc. It's Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Yeah, whatever Slim Jim paid for the sponsorship, they got their money's worth. <laughs> because in this episode alone, they say Slim Jim's fucking 20 times. Yeah. We then see footage of the no-good teens handing out NWO propaganda as fans arrived at the arena earlier this evening. Most fans tear it up and throw it away. There are, however, a few demonstrably pro-NWO fans who show up. Yeah, those ill-behaved teens travel very well. (laughs) Off to the ring where David Penzer introduces the teams of our opening contest. The Dungeon of Doom have a team, and I absolutely love hearing... Uh, where these guys are billed from, because mm-hmm. you have the Taskmaster, who is, of course, from the Iron Gates of Fate, yeah. and his partner Conan from Mexico City. <laughs> right. <laughs> he is such a sore thumb in the Dungeon of Doom, it makes no sense. <laughs> they come out uh, alongside Jimmy Hart and Big Bubba. Taskmaster is no longer in the jeans and his messed up black and white t-shirt that he kind of tried out for like three or four weeks. Yeah. Uh, he is now back to Trunks, before he was wearing like uh, yellow trunks with red bolts, he was kind of inverting Hogan's colors. Mm-hmm. But now he's just got red trunks with yellow bolts. So mixing I, it up a little yeah, bit. I yeah, I don't know. It doesn't <laughs> strike me as uh, that evil, but whatever. It is an improvement over the jeans and t-shirt. Even though I don't like seeing his tiny, his like giant baby body, <laughs> I still think trunks are a better look. I suppose if you're a wrestler, I suppose. Yeah. Standing in the ring, having received the jobber entrance, is the unlikely team of Brad American Flag Jacket Armstrong mm-hmm. and Juventud Guerrera. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about just throwing two random ass dudes together. Not only have they got the jobber entrance, but Dave Penzer is moving so quickly that he's literally stepping between the ropes to leave the ring while he's still saying Juventud Guerrera's name. <laughs> he's just like, fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> Larry has a great line before this one gets underway, saying that Kevin Sullivan has a great personality, just not for a human being. (laughs) (laughs) He can he can he can hit it now and then. Yeah, that was my hats off to Larry on that one. (laughs) 
Tanae joins the booth for this one, and Mark Curtis rings the bell. Conan and Hoobie start things off with Conan hitting a released German suplex on the much smaller man. He gets an arm drag and does some kind of cool twist while keeping arm control. I wrote these notes a few weeks ago, so I have no idea what I meant when I said cool <laughs> twists. He's doing lucha shit while keeping control of Hoovy's arm. That's yeah. all you really need to know. Until he gets Guerrera in a pinning position for a two count. Guerrera gets a head scissors takeover and Conan heads to the outside. A poor choice as Hoovy plants him with a plancha. Hoovy rolls Conan back into the ring, but the Taskmaster slows his momentum some by kicking him in the face before he can follow. Guerrera gets a springboard senton. Uh, I'm not sure if he learned from the almost failed 450 that he hit last week or if he's just starting to save some of his bigger moves for bigger matches. I mean, springboard senton is still gigantic. Mm -hmm. It's just it's more attainable than the 450 that he was trying to hit before. Yeah. Back on their feet, Guerrera tries jumping up on Conan, but Conan catches him and turns it into a DDT. Conan goes to tag in Sullivan, but the Taskmaster refuses the tag, telling Conan that he's got this. Conan sets Guerrera up on the top rope for a back suplex. Sullivan again refuses a tag. Uh, the announcers are definitely, like, focusing on this tag refusal. They're wondering what the hell he's doing. Yeah. Hooventude crawls over to Armstrong and makes the tag. Brad tries a back body drop Conan, but Conan leapfrogs and attempts a clothesline that Armstrong ducks before finally hitting one of his own. Armstrong hits a dropkick and an arm drag, but Conan stops him with a dropkick to the knee. He then hits a powerbomb and tags in Sullivan, right as NWO picketers start marching through the building. The Taskmaster comes in and hits his double stomp finisher for the one, two, three (laughs) in about two and a half very, very rushed minutes. (laughs) And Hoobin, too, just stood on the apron and just watched and just like made no effort to do anything. He has no affinity for Brad Armstrong. That was like a random like he's like, well, what the fuck do I care? I don't even know this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Jimmy Hart and Bubba hit the ring to celebrate. Conan has words for the Taskmaster. He's mad about the Mm non-tags. And Bubba suddenly nails him from behind. Like, is he out of the dungeon already? They're kicking his ass? Sullivan and Bubba attack Conan as Jimmy Hart cheers them on. The announcers and I are baffled. They double-team him a bit until they look at the camera and Sullivan yells, Jumped in! I guess that's our sign, apparently, that this was just some sort of gang initiation. They let Conan up, tell him that it was just some light-hearted hazing. He laughs, spits on the camera, and that's it. (laughs) The angle was arguably more rushed than the extremely rushed match. (laughs) Right. It was like, it was such a, it's not an angle. Like, after you watch this entire two-hour show, I don't think anyone's going to remember that even happened. Yeah. What was the point of it? I did not understand. No, because when... When um, those two attacked Conan, I was trying to remember. I was like, he was kicked out at this point. Like, what's yeah. going on? Or, or who who are you supposed to cheer? Yeah, between the, these those two groups, like, because Conan is like working hard on being a heel, but you're not going to cheer for the Dungeon of Doom. But but anyway, it was just for for laughs. And like, imagine being in the live crowd. Like, at least we have the announcers and the guys yelling into the camera. Like, this right. was an initiation. If I'm watching this from the crowd, I don't have a fucking clue what just happened. Right. And this is also the beginning of, like, tons of spit being on cameras tonight. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Tons. We go to a commercial, and when we come back, we see some replays of the end of last week where the NWO were in the limo promising to take over Nitro tonight. 
We then head back to the locker room where Mike Tanay is joined by the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Macho Man Randy Savage, we're just over a month away from your highly anticipated matchup with Hulk Hogan, but as we've just seen on the video, you've been publicly targeted by the New World Order, and they are here tonight. Here they are. Am I a marked man? Is that what you're thinking? Well, let me tell you something, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Whatever it takes, if you're going to cheap shot me every night and every day, before we get to Halloween Havoc, that's not going to change anything because I'm going to take you down because I'm the last hope for the WCW. Otherwise, the entire wrestling world is going to be turned upside down. You're threatening to make that happen. And another thing, let's get the record straight right now. The whole WCW, the majority of them were booked in Japan. And I was booked in Japan too. But I took myself out of there. Not because I've got any unbelievably stroke or anything. I just felt that I needed to be a nitro because it's not cut in stone whether you're going to beat me up or I'm going to beat up the whole NWO tonight. And about Elizabeth, let me tell you something. Not this lifetime, not the next lifetime, or maybe one the only thing we got in common is that about 100,000 lifetimes away from now, we might be the same goldfish same swimming in the same water. Now, nothing makes sense, but I'm going to tell you something that does. Halloween Havoc is very scary, and I'm not scared, and Hollywood Hulk Hogan, I take the responsibility to wipe you out. Understand that? Tanae says the New World Order have said that they plan to attack Savage Knight. Am I a marked man? Is that what you're thinking, asked Macho Man? Tanae nods, yes. And Macho tells Hogan that he can cheap shot him every day and every night leading up to Halloween Havoc, but it's not going to change anything because he's the last hope of WCW. Randy says that he was originally booked to be in Japan like a lot of WCW's guys, but he withdrew that booking because he needed to be at Nitro to try to beat up the whole NWO. Savage goes on to tell Hogan that 100,000 lifetimes from now, they might be the same goopy thing swimming in the water. <laughs> Savage then must immediately have a moment of clarity about what he just said, because his next quote is, nothing makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. <laughs> he goes on, but I'll tell you something that does make sense. Halloween Havoc is scary. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Savage then promises that he's not scared and he will wipe Hogan out. Savage's promos leading up to this Halloween Havoc match continue to be just mystifying. (laughs) Like, they're not good. He's totally on autopilot. Occasionally, he seems aware that the things he's saying are bad. Right. (laughs) And the things that he's saying that make sense, like Halloween Havoc is scary, are dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Randy Savage, uh, like I said about Kurt Henning earlier, he's in my top three. It's probably like those two and and Ric Flair. And uh, he is just... I don't know what's been happening with him over the last, like, month or so. I know that his contract is running out, and he's supposed to not be very happy with his character right now. Uh, so maybe that's it, but he just seems to be on total autopilot. He is just sleeping through these promos. Right, uh, but I remember mentioning for from last week is the fact that, like, you, you can kind of see where this is headed. Like, he's being fed to Hogan. Sure, oh, yeah. And the fact is that, I'm sure that's not what he wants to be doing. Yeah. Especially since he has to spend six weeks, like, helping pump up Hogan when he knows it's, like, how this one's going to end for him. So it's like, well, what motivation does he have to get pumped up for this match, you know? Yeah. 
you know, another thing that's kind of been bothering me is that's two weeks in a row of Randy Savage promos where he has not at all referenced Miss Elizabeth, uh, like, coming out and protecting him oh, yeah. from the NWO. Like, I think the announcers have brought it up a little bit, but Savage, like, apparently has nothing to say about that. Right. <laughs> we go back to the ring where Dave Penzer introduces me and Mike Penis, who comes out without dirty dick Slater. <laughs> Uh, maybe Rough and Ready broke up. I don't know, and I don't want to know. <laughs> right. His opponent is the young upstart Chris Jericho, who gets a pretty good reaction for a newcomer. Enos offers a handshake, and Jericho reluctantly shakes it. Enos does release the hand, but then leans in with a disrespectful slap. So disrespectful. He follows with a headbutt, then whips Jericho into the ropes. Enos whiffs on a huge dive and eats a Jericho spinning heel kick. Jericho slaps Enos and whips him into the ropes. Enos jumps over the top rope, points at his brain because he's so smart. He's so smart. And then hits the charging Jericho with a slingshot shoulder taco, followed by some, like, headbutts where he's on all fours and just sort of does a headbutt charge at Jericho. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, like uh, what Junkyard Dog used to do? Exactly what Junkyard Dog used to do, which Mm. was kind of charming when he did it and looks really stupid when Mean Mike Enos does it. (laughs) Uh, mean Mike Penis, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Penis. Enos follows <laughs> an Irish whip with a corner splash that Jericho dodges. Jericho gets an arm drag and then works an arm bar briefly until Enos escapes by picking up Jericho and dropping him throat first on the ropes. He then charges the young Canadian a bit until Randy Anderson stops him. Tony informs us that the Harlem Heat will be defending the WCW tag team titles against the Outsiders at Halloween Havoc. Listeners may remember that the Steiners were possibly scheduled for that match, mm. although uh, Rick and Scott seemed confused on whether it was happening at Halloween Havoc or Fall Brawl. Oh, yeah. And he said that either way, Scott's injured, so it's not happening regardless. <laughs> um, but whatever, at some point they decided that instead the Outsiders are just going to get their tag team title shot already. Larry rambles a bit about the NWO, saying that he doesn't like the idea of them trying to get the tag team belts. Then he says that Randy Savage also said something he didn't like. What was it that Randy said that Larry didn't like? Who the fuck knows? Because he doesn't bother telling us. Oh. I think like six minutes later, he finally gets around to it. And it's something about he, he doesn't like that. Larry said he's the last hope of WCW because he's like, if that oh. crazy guy's our last hope, then that's bad for us. Yeah, but might as well pack it up. I uh, wonder, like this whole tag team title match, is that making up? For, like, their demand for a tag team tournament? Well, the tournament gets referenced later. Oh, does it? It does. <laughs> I'm a little surprised. I didn't remember that. And uh, at one point, you re- you might remember they talked about NWO tag titles. Yeah. I kind of wonder if what happened was that at some point lines got crossed and maybe what was supposed to part of what was supposed to be on the line in War Games was a title shot for the tag team titles. Okay. For the NWO, you know, maybe instead of NWO tag team titles, it was supposed to be like, we should get a shot at the WCW tag team titles. And, you know, they do that thing where once Hogan won the WCW championship, he started referring to it as the NWO championship. Yeah. Maybe they're doing the same thing. Maybe they're like, those are the NWO tag team titles and we want those. So I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to fill in the blanks. I feel like that's the issue here is that you're yeah. trying to find reason in something where it's like, Week by week, they're pretty much making up on the fly. Yes, but the we will hear a little bit about the tournament later. <laughs> Great. Enos hits a belly-to-belly, but deci- 
Eno sits a belly to belly, but decides he doesn't want to pin as he rolls Jericho to the outside, where he follows up with a running clothesline from the apron of the floor before choking Jericho with the mic cable. He picks Jericho up and drops him on the guardrail to the screams of some women and the astonishment of a dude holding a Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy that appears to be wearing a homemade NWO t-shirt. Oh, cute. Enos runs Jericho into a ring post, breaks the count to get a fresh 10, then suplexes Jericho onto the ring steps, which he'd earlier set on their side. It's actually a pretty cool spot. I think it gets Jericho some good sympathy from the crowd. It makes Mm -hmm. Enos look tough. I liked it. Enos breaks the count again, then rolls Jericho back into the ring for some more of his little thrusting four-legged headbutts. (laughs) Mean Mike slaps on a bear hug, and Tony runs down some of the rest of the card. Randy Savage will face Greg Valentine, Harlem Heat will face the public enemy, and Glacier will once again be in action. Jericho boxes Enos' ears to break the hold, but Enos hits a power slam to stay in control. That gets a two count. Enos turns Jericho over into a Boston Crab, so this is twice in a couple weeks that Jericho has been put into some version of the walls of Jericho by his <laughs> opponent. Right. Enos gives up on the hold after a minute and switches to holding Jericho over his shoulder for some reason. I guess it's a submission, but it looks pretty fine to me. <laughs> it's like the torture act. You're like, that looks comfortable almost. I don't, I don't know. Jericho reverses that into a sunset flip for a two count. Jericho hits a couple of kicks and the two exchange punches until Jericho hits a clothesline. Jericho follows with a butterfly suplex, then a missile drop kick from the top rope. He sets Enos up on the top rope and goes for a hurricanrana, but Enos manages to turn it into a super power bomb that Jericho kicks out of it too. Enos tries to go for a power slam, but Jericho awkwardly rolls through it into a pin for the somewhat out of nowhere one, two, three. I thought this match was okay. Uh, certainly not great. Yeah. Uh, the finish was dumb. I don't think this is the kind of match that Chris Jericho should be having. At this point, um, Enos is a jobber and to be kind of dominated by him for like eight minutes. Yeah, that really that really made me tune out a bit, too. Mike Enos does not really um, move the needle. So I think he can hit some cool tough guy moves. uh, But I actually not that I liked because I really don't like Dick Slater, but I like the idea of Enos in a tag team with another big power like let him be in the kind of team that goes in there with your Steiner brothers and just throw like okay fire and ice is gone Mm -hmm. so me Mike Enos and like Scott Norton that's a that's a tag team I want to see let those two big tough strong fuckers go in there and hit some like release suplexes and stuff that would be fun yeah they'd be like a new Minnesota wrecking crew yes yeah because Enos is from here and uh is too yep i like it I like where your head's at jericho rolls the outside and gets his arm raised and we shortly after go to a commercial we come back from a commercial to the legendary sounds of goldberg's music which can only mean one thing it's time for pat tanaka <laughs> it sure is <laughs> tony hypes more of the card as uh, apparently wall street will be facing jim powers and hacksaw jim duggan will take on ron stud The lights go out, and it's all blue searchlights and laser beams, because here comes Glacier, karateing his way to the ring. Pew, pew, (laughs) Near as I can tell, the entrance is identical to last week's. It it seemed like it moved a bit quicker. I don't know if that was just... It did seem, yeah, that's probably true. um, I think think he did a little bit less 
posing on the way to the ring. Sure. But everything else, like once he gets to the ring, it feels pretty, uh, pretty much the same. Tony and Larry say it is literally snowing inside the arena. That's so, bullshit. <laughs> so in kayfabe, Glacier either has mystical ice powers mm-hmm. or the WCW production team can create and sprinkle snow inside of an arena to make a guy's entrance really cool. <laughs> they got to get him over, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, here to call all the action is our own mystical ice wizard, Dave Amantorp. <laughs> All right, uh, and right away we, we discovered that we're going to get the blue light lighting again as far as the match is concerned. Uh, again, I mean, I am interested in seeing how long this lasts. During this match, I was thinking about it as far as the blue lighting is concerned. I'm like, what's the end result, you know? Like, are you expecting Glacier to have, like, a world title match in blue lighting right. against <laughs> Right, I just... if. I feel like if you just think it all the way through, you realize like, oh, okay, at some point you gotta not do this. But right, but nope. At this right now, week two, we're still getting that. So the the um the blue lighting streak continues. So we start off with the two men circling each other in a very uh, martial artsy way. Tanaka goes for a palm strike, but Glacier blocks and hits one of his own. Glacier then hits a, a leg sweep, which looks great. Like, yeah, especially since like now he's done it to two very different wrestlers and they both look great. Yep. So that that's I feel like that's a good move for him. Off the ropes now and Glacier, I think he tries to go for a Huracarana only to have it countered into a sit down powerbomb. And now I'm interested in seeing Glacier hit a Huracarana. <laughs> yeah. Like if he's pulling that out, that would be pretty sweet. My favorite karate move, the Huracarana. Right. Um, anyway, so this is a move that actually has happened to Glacier, so he no-sells it <laughs> and hits the spin kick, his finisher, for the pinfall victory. So the power bomb didn't hurt him. It just made him angry, pretty much. Yeah, he tries to kind of do like a splits into standing up where you yeah. kind of like reverse splits, I guess, but he it's not very smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's kind of impressive, but it's just not what he – it's certainly not what he envisioned in his mind was going to happen when he started it. Right. Um, so this match was about a minute. So yeah, it was just a, a, a shorter version of last week's match because last week Bubba got more offense in on him. Mm-hmm. This week he just dominates, but it's the same kind of stunt show, uh, highly choreographed thing that he was doing before. Mm-hmm. It was fine. I didn't. I don't like Bell to Bell. Glacier's not very good, and his promo suck. I really like that entrance though. I like afterward when he dances and the lasers shoot around. He dances? He, he does his kata thing. Yeah. And they got like the little circle in the ring. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when he came out this week, he got a legitimate big pop. He really did. Um, And also, I like his look, too. Yeah. I think the look works. If it weren't a ripoff of Mortal Kombat, it wouldn't bother me as much. But, like, in a vacuum, I think it's good. Larry and Tony figure that they'd better talk to that Glacier before the NWO recruits him. Oh. I would love to see Glacier <laughs> in the NWO. <laughs> Well, it's like it, it's like he tries to sneak attack someone, yeah. but it starts snowing out. <laughs> so it's like you get a hint. Oh, oh, wait, I should probably get out of here. I think Glacier's showing up. It really shows the problem with the Glacier character in general as like try to imagine this character having any interaction with the NWO of any kind. Right. And like he would instantly look like such a joke. Right. You know, 
he has to be kept comp- like in a separate hour of the program from the NWO for any of this to maintain any kind of like narrative cohesion. Yeah, that that was like what I was kind of like what I was saying earlier as far as him like wrestling under the blue lighting. It's just yeah. like yes. There's only so many guys that will be f- that will look fine being like, "Oh yeah, I'm just going to be like the bitch here." Right. But it's like he's not going to be standing like across the ring from Scott Hall under blue light or anything right, like that. Right. It's just it's like you don't and that's the thing. It's like, it's one of the weird things about professional wrestling is like every five or 10 years or so they co- someone comes back to that whole thing. Yeah. So we've seen Sin Cara do it. We've seen Kane do it. Um, I think were were they doing the cruiserweights under lighting too? At no, some point? but they do like change the ropes to purple and all that shit. But I don't think they had purple lighting. Not that I recall anyway. But it just—it's like the weirdest like thing that's like it's never been successful from day one. But yeah, professional wrestling is just like well, that's a thing you can do in the arena. You can change the lighting. So. Right. Tony warns us against changing the channel, saying that the tag team titles are going to be on the line when we return. We go to commercial, and when we come back, we learn that Saturday night this week is going to have Brad Armstrong versus Dean Malenko, which is probably going to be a really good match. Yeah, I think Brad Armstrong is very. Uh, bland as far as character goes, but he's good in the ring and certainly against Malenko. Those are two guys whose whole thing is like, well, I don't give a shit about their personality, but boy, can they wrestle. Right. And, and plus, it's like on Saturday night, you'll, you'll they'll probably get like a decent amount of time to wrestle too. Yeah. Or or like they have a 15-minute match that's cut down to like five or whatever. Right. Public Enemy is going to face High Voltage and Randy Savage is going to take on Big Bubba. <laughs> when we come back... We're treated to a shot of Matt Gaffari sitting at ringside. Gaffari is an Iranian-born American immigrant who won the silver medal in men's 130-kilogram Greco-Roman wrestling at the 1996 Summer Games uh, a mere weeks ago, of course. Mm -hmm. The Summer Games were kind of only recently concluded. WCW is attempting to recruit him at this time. That's part of why he's shown at ringside. Uh, Spoiler alert, it never goes anywhere. Um... Maybe partly because Larry calls him a loser for not winning the gold medal. <laughs> I I also thought that was kind of funny, too. <laughs> it was, but, like, even if he had debuted, like, already now he looks like a chump. Like, we've <laughs> right. already called him a loser. <laughs> he does end up doing some professional wrestling, but it never he's never really hits uh, any big stage. And also, is that's, like, um, because we're right around the same time that the WWF gets Mark Henry... So they get yeah. a gold medalist, and WCW gets a silver medalist. Uh, Mark Henry did not win gold. He actually did really shitty in the Olympics. Oh, he did? Yeah, that was something that Lawler always ragged on him for. And I always thought it was funny they called him the world's strongest man when he got, like, 16th at the Olympics. Oh, I didn't really... He is legitimately insanely strong, but he just had a bad Olympics. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because, like, he's, like, won a bunch of, like, those, like, world's strongest man competitions. Right, right. But I... I and he, yeah, he had some world records and stuff. It just, mm. it was a bad Olympics. However, uh, you're right, because at, at around the same time is also, though, when they uh, start negotiating in earnest with Kurt Angle. So they do get a genuine gold medalist from the 96 mm-hmm. Atlanta Games. Yeah. Uh, but the, sil- the silver medalist guy just kind of goes nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's Should have won the gold, man. <laughs> Public Enemy make their way to the ring along with a table. Out next to their opponents, the WCW World Tag Team Champion, Harlem Heat. Tony reminds us that the Heat will defend those titles against the Outsiders at Halloween Havoc, and he announces... Oh, wait, what what pay-per-view is it? (laughs) 
Oh, Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Oh, that one. Okay. Thanks. I thought you were playing on the Steiner Brothers confusion, and then I realized <laughs> that, no, you wanted me to say Slim Jim's Halloween nope. Havoc. He announces a new match for that same pay-per-view, Arn Anderson versus Lex Luger. Yeah. I, I suppose that makes a little bit of sense because they're mad at Lex yeah. for the failure at War Games and you since Sting is gone. Explain that to me, how this makes sense to you. Okay, so they were teammates at War Games. Uh-huh. Then Sting didn't show up. Well, he showed up for a bit, and then he yeah. betrayed them. Yeah. So by proxy, it's Lex Luger's fault? Well, Sting's not around, and Arn just wants to fight someone because he's so mad about it. <laughs> so angry. <laughs> That's all I got for you. I don't know. <laughs> well, they announced it, and, and I, was, I was just sitting there like, wait, what are they angry about? Yeah. Cause this, and this is like way in advance, too, so... I could see him holding Lex responsible because Lex doubting Sting was the thing that really set Sting off. What it's also I mean, it's also like the simplest way would be the four horsemen lost because you submitted. That too, yeah. That's and, a good that point be, as well. That maybe for Arn Anderson, that's enough and it's like, Oh, you made Ric Flair lose a match. Right. You son of a bitch. Right. I'll I'll job to you as revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh, and and I suppose at this point, or we must be pretty close to when Flair is no longer going to be on for a while. Yeah. Or has this already started? Is he going to be on? We'll talk about it later. Oh, okay. The Heat come out to a mixed reaction. They are accompanied by Sister Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker. Larry says the Harlem Heat are the kind of guys you trust to hold their own. They won't roll over for the likes of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Prior to the bell, the Heat attack Public Enemy, and here to call all the action is our own cheap shot artist, Dave Amantor. <laughs> well, we also get some other strong words from Larry Zabisco, saying that Hall and Nash can't wrestle their way out of a paper bag. And that's especially noteworthy since he's comparing them to a team that still features Stevie Ray. <laughs> like you said, Harlem Heat strike before the bell, sending Johnny Grunge to the outside as they focus their attack on Rock or Rock. However, Grunge is quickly back to his feet, and hits the champs with a double clothesline from the top. Nick Patrick does not restore order. The match just restores itself, as we have Rocco Rock battling Booker T. A tag to Johnny Grunge, a public enemy executes a drop-toehold elbow-drop combo to perfection. Do you want to guess who does the drop-toehold drop and who does the elbow-drop? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> okay, fair, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Booker T kicks out at one and thumbs Grunge's eye a bit before tagging in Stevie Ray. He needs that to see, though. Yes. Did Booker not realize that? He's got two, though. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Almost on cue, Zabisco talks about the conditioning of Harlem Heat. Being so bold as to say they're able to go to 20 to 30 minutes with the best of them. And I say perfect timing because Stevie Ray's in the ring now. <laughs> yes. 20 to 30 minutes. And he's... He's making it sound like this is their advantage right. over Hall and Ash. Yeah. <laughs> which which if you at least at least Scott Hall looks like in phenomenal shape nowadays. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty ridiculous. Uh whip into there's a whip into the corner, but Stevie Ray misses a running elbow as Grunge executes the least athletic looking schoolboy imaginable for a two count. Now I know Johnny Grunge is no Matt technician, but it's bad when your immediate thought is he should probably take that move out of his playbook, and we're talking about a schoolboy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't emphasize how terrible this looks and how yeah. he looks like he might have just learned it that morning. 
anyway, but Public Enemy double back elbow Stevie as we head to a commercial break. Upon our return, we see Booker T choking Rocco Rock. Booker T then goes for his patented Harlem sidekick, but instead hits his patented land dick first on the top rope. There's some half-hearted shaking of the ropes from Johnny Grunge before he's tagged in. Grunge with a 10 punch in the corner, then does a very emphatic thumb to the eye, which I thought was a nice callback because he's doing it to the guy that thumped him in the eye. Yep. Which I was kind of blown away because that's like ring techno- uh, psychology from <laughs> Johnny Grunge, <laughs> yeah. who can't like even schoolboy a wrestler. Right. So <laughs> I, I, I just I don't know what to expect coming from Johnny Grunge. Yeah, no kidding. Tony Schiavone has the gall to call it a palm strike to the forehead. <laughs> The unmitigated gall of that <laughs> right. man. As Public Enemy does the Cabbage Patch. Uh, Booker T then clotheslines Grunge before tagging Stevie Ray back in, who hits a leg drop. While Nick Patrick is distracted by Rocco Rock and Stevie Ray's heated debate with each other, Booker T slams Johnny Grunge onto Public Enemy's table, which does not break. And also, it looks like it's one of those more like formidable tables that they brought out, which is like, oh, Great. That's going to be one where they're just going to land on it. It looks like it just hurts. Right. There's some shenanigans outside the ring, consisting mostly of Nick Patrick arguing with Rocco Rock, which Nick Patrick spends about 30 seconds of his match arguing something with Rocco Rock. Yeah. I think Rocco Rock wants to get in the ring, but Nick Patrick's like cutting him off before he even tries. But he's like missing what the other three wrestlers are doing the whole time. Yeah. Either way, Stevie Ray has. Johnny Grunge and body slams him on the mat. We then get a rest hold by Stevie Ray while Booker T argues with Sister Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker, who are not paying attention much to the match. Booker T also seems like he's like yelling at fans and stuff like that. And I'm I'm starting to get this impression that Booker T is not happy that the fans are just like they they don't care about this match. Right. And it sounds dead in the arena. I think he's doing what he can to kind of like get some ire going. Yeah, I think that's a fair reading. Uh, a grunge rally is quickly extinguished as Booker T is tagged in. He nails grunge with a Harlem sidekick and then taunts the fans as at this point it's obvious he's like he's trying to get something out of them. He hits a Harlem sidekick. He goes up to the turnbuckles. He's taunting. He's doing whatever he can. So, like, hats off to him for trying to get this, like, over with the fans. While Harlem Heat takes turns having their pinfall covers broken up by Rocco Rock, we go to a split screen as the New World Order has arrived in front of the arena. I mean, for the fact they're taking over, they sure know how to show up like an hour late to, <laughs> to a two-hour show. Yep. I like uh, as they get out of the limo here, Kevin Nash says uh, the NWO are here except no imitations. Mm-hmm. Taking a little shot at uh, fake Diesel and fake Razor Ramon, oh. who are over on Raw this very evening. Uh, so Booker T with a chin lock as the NWO members high five each other as if they're seeing each other for the first time tonight, even though they just got out of the limos together. I just, I just found, I always find that to be goofy. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we rode in a car, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> And also, it's funny, I always like it when wrestlers get out of, like, a vehicle, but they're, like, in ring gear. Yes. Like, Scott Hall's ready to wrestle. Right. <laughs> Booker T again goes for a backdrop. Oh, wait. We return to the main screen, just as Johnny Grunge has a sunset flip blocked by a Booker T punch. Booker T then again goes for a backdrop, 
but eventually gets hit with a spinning neckbreaker, which is to me by far the best Johnny Grunge maneuver that he has. Yeah, he's good at the the swinging neckbreaker. Did I say spinning neckbreaker? Well, whatever. Hot tag to Rocco Rock, who hits both members of Harlem Heat with fists of fire, according to Shivani. Which okay. His attempt at the meeting of the minds turns into stereo clotheslines from the tag team champions. Stevie Ray then side slams Rocco Rock, but Booker T misses the Harlem Hangover. Uh-oh. Well, for Stevie Ray, when Alos fails, he doesn't know what to do. He sends a guy out of the ring, and he goes out of the ring after him, which is what he does right now to Johnny Grunge. Yep. That's always his fallback option. <laughs> Go out of the ring, do something out there. So now we get a weird moment. Rocco Rock gets onto the apron, and it looks like he wants to leap onto Stevie Ray. So Stevie Ray pushes him, so he goes through the ropes. It lands in the ring kind of on Booker T and kind of acting like he's knocked out, but also kind of pinning Booker T. <laughs> but then we don't even get a count because, like, for one thing, both their shoulders are— No, uh, Booker T's shoulder's up, and also Rocco Rock's foot is on the ropes. And I don't know what was going on here, but I think they fuck up the finish. <laughs> yeah. Because after after everyone realizes there's not going to be a count, the two wrestlers get up. Booker T picks up. Oh, no. Booker T picks up Rock Rock and small packages him right away. But Rock counters it for the pinfall victory. Now, mind you. Rocco Rock clearly had the small package to his advantage. Right. It clearly was a three count for them. Yet there's fucking confusion afterwards as far as who won. And then once again, when it comes to Nick Patrick, it's another non-controversial controversy at the end of a match. Yeah, I think you might be right. I think the original intention was to have that um, original sort of pinfall or to be like an accidental pinfall that protected the heat. Right. Gives the public enemy the belts in a very fluky manner. Yeah. Um, and then... I don't know if Patrick refused to count because he wasn't clued in. That was what's happening. I don't really know. But, but the one thing we do know about WCW referees is that they will not count if there's like anyone near the ropes. Yeah, it was. So I think even though the finish was there, he's like, I'm not going to count when his foot's on the rope. And yeah. then, yeah. So then they get back up. And that's why it's because like, why would Booker T immediately go for a small package? Like, right. So it's just. <laughs> so we have like this title change. That's supposed to be exciting because it's like changing this this match for uh, Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, <laughs> but they just it's so messed up, and they, another th- and like it's obvious who won, but then the only confusion is like the confusion that they're just like putting upon the crowd. Right. It's so bizarre, and it's a and any sort of like impact you wanted from the title change is just lost because we're like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, the bell rings, and Rock and Booker both celebrate, believing that they have won. And as Dave sort of explained there, there's no reason for Booker to believe that he's won. Right. It's just that the plan was for them to be kind of confused. Oh, but also, they're playing Harlem Heat's music. Yeah, Harlem Heat's music plays, <laughs> and Booker goes to the belt. But Nick Patrick says, no, Public Enemy uh, is the winner, and their music suddenly plays, and the crowd pops. That came out of the blue, says Larry, and uh, I agree. <laughs> That's a true statement. Public Enemy get the belts, and Tony announces that they will now be the men to defend the belts against the Outsiders at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Oh, man. 
I assume what was supposed to happen here was a fluke victory for the public enemy right. who can then be transitional champions to get the belts onto the outsiders but protect Harlem Heat so they can feud with the outsiders later since they're a real threat of a tag team as opposed to public enemy. And also it's it's advancing the dumb story of Nick Patrick and his right. agencies because I think it was going to be that both their shoulders were down, but Rocco Rock was kind of on top of Booker T. Right. And I know, like, in wrestling, they've had that count where, like, the guy on top, even though his shoulders are down, they'll give him the victory. So I think it was another attempt at having that storyline continue, but it was so messed up. Yeah, so whatever their intention was, I it certainly fell apart here, and we go to commercial. <laughs> Uh, with some heavy implication from Tony ahead of time that the NWO are going to show up in the next segment as Randy Savage is going to be in action. <laughs> Again, they're, they're like, just so you know, in about five minutes, Randy Savage <laughs> is going to be in this place. Boy, this I hope the NWO don't <laughs> attack him. The NWO who we saw arrive in that last match. Right. Don't worry, Macho Man. You can let your guard down, even <laughs> for a second. <laughs> We return and the 10-second dynamite timer is in the corner. Some very squeaky pyro goes off and Eric Bischoff <laughs> welcomes us to hour two. <laughs> Did you know, you know what I'm talking about? Did you hear that? By, it was just a really weird sound. He's going to be joined on commentary by Bobby the Brain Heenan and Mike Tanay. Eric says, of course, that the NWO is here and lists the members. But then he says that there's somebody new. Apparently, he's got the word from the back that the NWO has a new member who will be debuting tonight, but he doesn't yet know who it is. Hmm. I guess NWO are not really good at hiding their secrets then, are they? <laughs> I Apparently not. <laughs> Listen, we're going to have a new member. Let's make sure that Bischoff knows ahead of time. <laughs> a six-foot-tall mound of chewing tobacco spit with doll hair on top makes its way to the ring. Oh, wait, that's just Greg Valentine. Oh, gross. His opponent. You're just like, you're just like okay, how can I make this even grosser? <laughs> I hope he leaves soon so I don't have to keep coming up with these. His opponent, the number one contender for the WCW Heavyweight Championship, Randy the Macho Man Savage, makes his way to the ring with some nice pyro and a good pop from these Alabama fans. Boy, I, I just I really hope NWO don't attack him <laughs> if they know where he is, which they probably do. Randy poses on the ropes, but Valentine tries to cheap shot him by pulling him down and gently pushing him. <laughs> He's just like, hey, you with the jacket and the hat and <laughs> glasses. Then Valentine remembers that he's still on his robe on, so he backs up in order to take it off because <laughs> he sucks at even cheap shotting before the bell. He cannot even do that i you know what while you're going on about this yeah i'm gonna try to find out how many years of a pro greg valentine was at oh, this time so many because it, it this seems like amateur hour for mark curtis calls for the bell and randy takes over with punches and kicks he drags valentine's face across the top rope Gregor's, I don't know why I decided to call him that in my notes, but <laughs> Gregor's gets back into it with a back elbow and then a standing elbow drop to Randy's face and leg. He headbutts Randy in the balls, and Christ, Randy is mostly selling in this throwaway match with Greg Valentine. <laughs> um, at this point, he would be a 26-year veteran. Wow. Also, his brother-in-law is Brian Nobbs. 
Oh, I forgot that. I think I knew that at one point, but it it's just such worthless information. You just you why waste space in your brain for it. Valentine tosses Randy to the outside and Macho Man runs back into the ring so Valentine throws him out again. <laughs> he drops Savage on the guardrail. Bischoff informs us of Super Colo's injury and sends the best wishes on behalf of WCW. He doesn't mean it. <laughs> he doesn't mean it. Valentine chops Randy on the outside before going back into the ring to stop the count. Randy finally grabs Valentine from the apron and throws him back into the rail and then attacks him with a chair. Eric says that ambulances are encircling the building in case the worst happens. But Eric, the worst has already happened. Public Enemy won the tag team titles from the Harlem Heat and the ambulances. They did nothing to stop it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I want to think one of them has super colloid. <laughs> Just circling around. Over. Wee, wee, wee. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this really hurts. Can we just get to the hospital? Mark Curtis allows the chair attack to continue until Savage finally comes off the top rope with a chair shot, <laughs> which is just a bridge too far. <laughs> right. So he finally DQs Randy. So once again, we have Randy, the number one contender, mostly selling to a shit opponent and right. then losing to them via disqualification. <laughs> he has could not look worse heading into this title match. It's crazy. And, and and you and you wonder why it's like uh, you wonder why he's not motivated because <laughs> he sees what's coming up like week in and week out. This prompts a run in from Nash Hall, DiBiase, and Six. They beat Randy for a bit until Hall hits an outsider's edge. We see Elizabeth standing near the entrance ramp, looking worried. She eventually runs to the back, offering no actual help. <laughs> right. The Giant is now in the ring wearing a suit, uh, minus the coat. He's wearing, like, pants, a nice shirt, a vest, a tie. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if he has a tie or not, but no he's tie. looking very dapper. Yeah, which is weird because he's the only one dressed up. Yes. Well, I mean, well it makes sense given the, the role that he's going to be taking this evening, but we'll, we'll get to that. Oh, right. Uh, Nash Jackknife Savage. People are throwing all kinds of trash, and the reaction from the crowd is noticeably mixed. Looks like we're taking over tonight, says Nash. The Giant has a mic because with a crew including Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Ted DiBiase, the one you definitely want talking is the Giant. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very good job, gentlemen. Very good. That's another one for the New World Order. Very good. Oh, he can't give me one. Now, without further ado... The man in the myth, the man to be with, the all-time greatest professional wrestler in the world, a man who made professional wrestling what it is today, a man who knows no limits, the financial backbone of the NWO, the largest arms in the world, the one... The only Hollywood Hogan! Giant collects high fives from the NWO. Hilariously, Six has to jump for his, which I thought was cute. Yeah. Giant then goes for one from Savage, but Randy is writhing in pain in the mat, so Giant says... Oh, he can't give me one, <laughs> and just moves on. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. The giant introduces the man, the myth, 
the man to be with, the all-time best professional wrestler in the world, the man who made professional wrestling what it is today, the man who knows no limits, the financial backbone of the NWO, which I'd like to note, isn't that Ted DiBiase? Isn't yeah, that his whole kinda, reason for being here? He's like, should I leave now? The one, the only, Hollywood Hogan. I am 100% convinced that Hogan wrote that. You know what? Whatever, whoever wrote it, I was impressed that Giant did it from memory. True. Uh, other than the financial backbone bit, which makes no sense, I was impressed that he did that all off the dome. That was pretty cool. And that, what was that part? The man everyone wants it. Everyone wants to be with the man to be with. To be with. Yeah. Mm. Uh. <laughs> Hogan comes out with the belt to a mixed reaction, perhaps slightly more cheers than there were before. Not that there was all cheers, but like there's, you can hear them. Even here in Alabama, which is probably not where you'd expect the NWO to be at their top. Yeah, I I mean, after about an hour about with not a lot of like big names out here, now we're getting like the full like the A list. Right. So I could see them being like, Oh, okay, now the show is really getting going. That's true. Hall and Nash hold up Randy so that Hogan can punch him. Giant does some mocking Ric Flair mannerisms as Hogan leg drops Randy and poses for the crowd. He leg drops him again for good measure, and Nash beats him with a Slim Jim. Uh, in case you didn't pick up that that's what happens, Hogan just mugs through the camera and goes, he's beating him with a Slim Jim. Right. Just this exaggerated, annoying fucking laugh. And there, I swear that Kevin Nash is, is like, as soon as he says that, it's like, oh, this is not funny anymore, and stops. <laughs> it would have been funny until yeah. you pointed it out. You explained the joke. about the shine on that bald head because what he see what he everybody looks knows you don't have that Hollywood is an artiste and anything less would be uncivilized. Hogan says it's time they help Randy with his hygiene. Hogan takes the mic and tells all the NWO-ites out there that the bright lights shining off Macho Man's bald head are too much for him to bear. Um, so he is going to spray paint Macho Man's bald spot. Um, Eric Bischoff uh, enunciates exactly your reservations here, I think, mm-hmm. saying, what does he see when he looks in the mirror? <laughs> right. Which normally you're not allowed to talk about Hogan being bald. So I like that someone was able to actually be like, what are you talking about, you hypocrite, you bald bastard? (laughs) You're balder than he is. (laughs) Hogan makes his second deodorant commercial reference. He's been doing that like over the last five minutes. All the the uncivilized. Anything else would be too civilized or like he can't even keep the catchphrase straight. So I'm not even going to bother. It's a catchphrase. 
he's been using that phrase, but he's yeah. he's now he's like now fucking it up. Yeah. <laughs> he was getting it right before, yeah. but now now it's just like it's just oh. Alright guys, this is our show. We're doing it our way. Here's the NWO. Eric, your name is on the credits. You're the wait boss a minute, here. Wait a minute. I'm getting out of here. Tonight, wait come with me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do your job, man. Do it well. Do your job, Chico. Huh? We told you so. We told Look. you so. Joining the broadcast team. Welcome the, the Outsiders. National Hall for the Outsiders. Six in the background. Legendary Hulk Hogan. And let's bring out our newest member, Ted DiBiase's head of security. Make welcome, if you will, a name very familiar to wrestling fans. Bring him out. Get him out. Teddy, where's Get Vincent? Get off me. Bring Vincent. Vincent. Bring Vincent. out Vince. Vince, come on out. Come on, Vince. Easy, easy. Come on, buddy. So let me ask you a question while waiting on Vincent. This whole, this whole thing here. Here he comes. Are you a real Vincent. Model, or you just look like when it's a barbershop? What's the deal there? Here he comes. Hey, Vincent. Come on, buddy. What is that? Who is Hey, piss off. You're going to hang with the NWO, whether you like it or not, brother. The NWO head for the broadcast booth, and Bobby says, Eric, you're the boss with your name on the credits. Tanae, you come with me. And him and Iron Mike bail. (laughs) Bischoff kind of tries to get up, but he's trapped by the outsiders. Hall plays good cop, telling Bischoff to do his job and do it well. Well, Nash genuinely gets kind of scary screaming at Eric to sit down. Yeah. By the way, kudos to Mike Tanay for just like, he's telling me to leave. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. I'm not going to second guess that. (laughs) Bobby's got more experience than me. I'm listening to him. Right. The rest of the NWO come to the desk and Hall and Nash put on headsets. They welcome the newest member of the NWO, Ted DiBiase's head of security, Vincent. Where's Vince, they keep yelling and referencing that he's a familiar name to wrestling fans, Mm -hmm. just in case you didn't put it together, that it's a little rib on Vince McMahon. Right. And it's like, and he sometimes called Vince and sometimes Vincent. Yeah. Of course, it is not Vince McMahon who has Mm -hmm. come to join the NWO. It's WWF's Virgil, last seen in that promotion two years ago. He's wearing an NWO shirt as he comes down the aisle. Vincent, a.k.a. Virgil, was born Mike Jones, and he is a 34-year-old wrestler born in Nashville, Tennessee. He was an amateur who trained in pro-graps by Atha Anoa'i of the Wild Samoans. He broke into the business in Memphis as Soul Train Jones and bounced around a bit before joining the WWF in 1986, initially as a jobber, before he was paired with the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase as Virgil, DiBiase's manservant. Yes, manservant. That's what he is. (laughs) The Virgil name was given to him as a rib on Dusty Rhodes. Basically, Dusty sort of talks like a black dude, so let's give a black dude his middle name, Teehee. 
That's quite a, quite a tease there. Yeah, well, you, you remember really... they did the same thing with uh, Akeem turning him into uh, mm. the African dream and just having him make like talk like Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I think I think you're underselling a bit where it's like he kind of sounded like a black guy when he talked. Dusty, Dusty Rhodes. Rhodes idolized a lot of black culture. Yeah, and maybe maybe went overboard with it a little bit, but he was doing it out of a place of love, and they were like, "Ha ha, this guy likes black stuff." That's dumb. He's <laughs> dumb because of it. You know, it's stupid. Let's stick him with Sapphire and Ha Ha. That's funny. You know, it's like we're above that as Roddy Piper is half black <laughs> for WrestleMania. <laughs> Virgil mostly did DiBiase's bidding and occasionally wrestled DiBiase's opponents to soften them up for his boss. In 1991, Virgil tired of DiBiase's humiliations and turned babyface hitting Ted with the million-dollar title belt at the Royal Rumble 1991 when Virgil and DiBiase were facing, ironically, Dusty and Dustin Rhodes. Virgil got a push after that, being mentored and trained on screen by Roddy Piper and defeating DiBiase at WrestleMania 7 and again for the million-dollar championship at SummerSlam 91. Virgil would lose the million-dollar belt back to DiBiase later that year thanks to the Repo Man, and from there, he slid down the card, acting as mostly a jobber to the stars, until he was released in 1994. Wait, thanks to who? The Repo Man. Nice! Yeah, your favorite, dude. I love the Repo Man. <laughs> After two years in the independent scene, he got a deal to be the enforcer for the NWO, a role that had originally been offered to Charles Wright, a.k.a. Papa Shango, Kama oh, Mustafa, the Godfather. That would have been cooler. Yeah, this is something that Wright actually talked about recently on the WWE Network program Photoshoot, and uh, let's hear an audio clip of that now. NWO, oh, I remember the NWO. My contract was coming up, and I was in negotiations with WCW coming into the NWO as their bodyguard and we had arranged a verbal contract the price is over a three-year deal and then i didn't hear from them and then i called the people that i needed to talk to and they weren't returning my calls and then i'm watching the show one day and i see virgil come out as the bodyguard of the nwo i would assume that somebody in the nwo probably said hey we can get virgil a lot cheaper than he's known as a bodyguard so Virgil went there a lot cheaper than what I was going to go there for. So I don't really have good feelings over that at all. But because of that, the Godfather was born. So it's even better. But uh, I'm not mad at Virgil. You know, Virgil's Virgil. I'm sure Ted's more mad at Virgil than I am. <laughs> Obviously, returning to WWF uh, turned out the best for Wright, as I think the Godfather oh, was sure. way bigger than he ever could have ascended to. Sure. He was an intercontinental champion and Absolutely. a yeah. big opening match guy. Boy, would he have been a lot better of a choice than Virgil. You know who else though. would have? Literally <laughs> anyone. <laughs> I Yeah, because the next note I have is the second that Virgil joins the NWO, the prestige of the stable immediately takes a nosedive. Yeah. Uh, you know, the story has always been, the, the popular wisdom on the NWO is that they were a great thing, and then they added too many guys, too many of whom were not big names, were not didn't move the dial, as they say. Mm -hmm. And I always knew that, and I thought that was probably true, but I was like excited to watch WCW chronologically myself for the first time. And, like, it was shocking 
that that happened so quickly. Yeah. May 27th, Scott Hall came in. It's September 23rd of the same year, and Virgil is already a member of this group. Holy shit. Like, the the quality of this group has immediately nosedive, and it's so soon. Mm-hmm. As I'm curious, as someone who watched this at the time, did this, like, line up with your memories? Were you like, oh, yeah, this is when Virgil joins, or... I think there's just something about Virgil that makes me just kind of forget about him. <laughs> sure. So I just I I don't really remember him being around much until like he's like the lackey for other NWO members that yeah, are later yeah, on. Yeah. But um yeah, I'm just you know for the last few weeks I've just been kind of like, man, there's like this there's a lot of this NWO stuff that just hasn't aged well. It doesn't look as cool as I remembered it. Um, I mean, even at, at the time, because like, I've always, always disliked Hogan. Mm-hmm. So it's always been like the NWO is cool minus Hogan. Right. But really it's just like, yeah, it, they're just like, they're way too big. And, and there's like just inconsequential people. Right. Um, and you, and you can tell like the reason why they're there is because they're like, these are WWF names that we can afford. Right, yeah. The idea, basically, like we heard Charles Wright say, is that uh, he had the deal, and then somebody, maybe DiBiase, who felt some loyalty to Virgil or something, was like, hey, I bet if we just want a black guy to be our enforcer, Virgil will do it for half as much. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how he wound up there. Yeah, when you said that, I was like, I bet he was a lot cheaper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Vincent comes to the announce desk where Hogan instructs him to keep an eye on Bischoff. A small but vocal Virgil chant gets growing in the crowd. (laughs) I missed that. Vincent absolutely manhandles Eric when he grabs him by the shoulders for a second before he turns to Hogan for a big hug. You can tell that Bischoff, like, said something like, you got to keep me in this chair all night and, like, feel free to get real rough with me. Mm -hmm. Like, he must have said something like that because Virgil just slaps the fuck out, just shoves him. He's violently shaking him. Like, clearly he felt very comfortable with this, so I'm assuming that Bischoff was like... Because Bischoff likes to think of himself as a tough guy, so I think he was like, look, just really give it to me out there. Make people think it's real, you know? Mm -hmm. I can really easily hear that pitch from Bischoff in my mind. And I can say with full confidence that this is the highlight of Vincent's WSW (laughs) run. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Full confidence. Nash uh, Garrett is on the headset now, and he says that his brother-in-law once told him that there's only two things in life worth watching, Alabama football and NASCAR racing. Eric asks if they can take a commercial break, and Vincent casually hits him pretty goddamn hard in the side of the head. Mm -hmm. As we go to commercial, Eric tries to escape, but is restrained by Virgil, or Vincent. God, I'm going to screw that up a bunch. Doesn't matter. Giant does his best flare strut some more, and we head straight to an NWO paid advertisement for the official NWO shirt. It's a new ad, not the one we've seen with the, this was paid for by the Ric Flair Retirement Fund. Yeah. Uh, but it's just the Giant, Hall, and Nash goofing off. Nothing real notable about it. They, I mean, I don't know if it's like a really like focused thing, but they are like really trying to make sure you know that the Giant has personality. Yes, that's, that's like, true. That's like the theme of tonight's <laughs> Nitro. After a break, Scott Hall welcomes us back to the first ever NWO Monday Nitro. Hogan and Giant have left the booth, but everyone else is still there. Hall says that the NWO could take over anything, the NBA or the NFL where Kevin Green plays. 
Hall then asks Bischoff about being friends with Green and says that he just watched him play over the weekend, which means that Scott Hall must have just watched Kevin Green's Carolina Panthers move to 3-0 with a win on September 22nd over the San Francisco 49ers. He must have. (laughs) (laughs) Just showing off how well I can Google things. (laughs) Hey, that's a date in time. We'll see what happened then. Hall says that another real sport is NASCAR, where, quote, rednecks dipping skull drive around real fast in a circle. <laughs> yeah, that was that was Hall, right? Yeah. Said that? Yeah. yeah. I, I was like, I like that we're on the same wavelength here. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like thinking that surprisingly we insulted NASCAR on this very show a long time ago when they had that other NASCAR driver for mm-hmm. WCW. What? Well, like, <laughs> It leading up to like the reason why they're bringing up NASCAR, but he's still like yeah. he's still like fuck NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> but big man, like you said earlier, there's only a couple of real sports left, and one of them's them rednecks dipping skull driving real fast in a circle. Yeah, right? that's NASCAR. I brought that up earlier. Hey, don't we? You know what? I think we could do something with this NASCAR. We thing. could take over NASCAR. Look at- think if we had a car. What are you guys hey, doing? If we only had a car. car. What do we got here? Behind the curtain, Caromero standing at. Oh! A new world order car. That's right, we've got a racing team. A lot of people know this. Uh, I see it. Yeah, I blueprinted the engine myself. I see it. You know what? The funny thing is, you know, the NWO, we didn't go out and just get any driver. No, no, no we got somebody special. That's big right. Man. Who is it? Well, let me tell you this. You know, last I heard, the guy got in a little trouble for a little uh, fisticuffs he was in. He's our kind of guy. He's got the ponytail. Hey, Teddy picked up his fine. Yeah. You know, we got no problem with that. We're bringing in Kyle Petty. He'll oh, be come here next on. Week. Kyle next Petty week. is going to be racing. Week. That's right. Racing the NWO NASCAR legend. Soon to be. <laughs> Nash says that they could take over NASCAR if they just had a car. Right on cue, a vroom vroom racing car <laughs> with NWO branding. <laughs> Dri- drives out from behind the curtain. <laughs> those, are, those are the coolest ones. <laughs> Nash tells Bischoff that the NWO car is going to be driven at next week's NASCAR event by Kyle Petty, son of legendary driver Richard Petty, who, from what I can tell, I'm no NASCAR expert, had a pretty middle-of-the-road career himself. Like, he was a big name because he was Richard Petty's son, but Kyle Petty was not, like, a legend in his own right. But, I mean, it's still, like, it's a name. It's definitely a name, and people are going to be like, oh, wow, you know, that definitely, I think, is a big deal for WCW. Yeah, right away when 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 the car came out, I was really disappointed it wasn't 69 on the side <laughs> yeah it was just 49 they were just given a number but yeah. i was like i was like ah dang i wonder if 69 was just banned from that they're just like look we get it no <laughs> one can have 69 <laughs> listen we know what it means we're not with it <laughs> bischoff says we got to get to the next match and the nwo ask what's coming up bischoff tells them that it's jim powers versus wall street <laughs> We go to the ring where it seems that the Giant will be filling in for Dave Penzer as he makes ring announce duties. 
Uh, Wall Street is apparently now M Wall Street. <laughs> I guess you can sure. only have one inside reference to Vince McMahon per roster. I didn't even put that. I didn't even connect that. I think now that Vincent's here, they're like, we don't need VK Wall Street anymore. We've got a, another silly jab at McMahon. We we have a whole new joke now. It's very weird, though, that before he was VK Wall Street, he was Michael Wall Street. Now they've decided they like the idea of him having a first initial because they <laughs> like that part of the VK thing. So now instead of just going back to Michael Wall Street, which was a name he already had. Yeah. He's M Wall Street, which makes less <laughs> sense. It's so stupid. They're they don't give a shit about this character. Clearly, Mike Rotundo is not like guys. I already like he doesn't give a shit. He's just collecting a paycheck. Yeah, no one cares what is happening here. I I also liked um what because Jim Powers comes out first, and while we're waiting for Wall Street to come out, uh, because like Hall and Ash are kind of like in jest, like putting over jim powers right and oh yeah i'll talk about that in a second yeah then and then hall was saying like how he looks all juiced up and ready to go <laughs> yes <laughs> and, I, yeah. and i'm like get him <laughs> <laughs> before we get there though the giant says that this match is brought to you by the new world order and uh if i were looking to build positive associations with my brand right i probably would not present a jim powers versus <laughs> m wall street match he should have been like, the NWO is not affiliated yeah, with this. Yeah, this is WCW, guys. We had <laughs> nothing to do with this. The Wrestling Express during this match is not. <laughs> Jim Powers comes out with, in Nash's words, peanut head Teddy Long. <laughs> Old peanut head. Powers is described by Hall and Nash as, quote, full of beef, jacked, and juiced up and ready to go. <laughs> yes. They, they're like, all the guys think at the gym think he looks good. You look good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're pretty well on point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, none of what they said is inaccurate in the slightest. <laughs> well, and also they're, they're just like Hall and Ash going, like going back and forth. Yeah. Is entertaining as hell. I could see like if these guys were just shooting the shit backstage, I would want to sit there and just listen to what they're saying. I, right. You know. Wall Street then makes his way to the ring, which looks disgusting as it's full of litter, there's spilled shit all over, and nobody is attempting to kick any of it out of the ring. Hall, Nash, and Waltman leave the desk, but Vincent stays planted behind Bischoff, and DiBiase takes one of the vacated headsets to do commentary with Eric. And you remember, uh, kind of going back a long time ago, Meltzer thought that's what DiBiase was supposed to be doing, was coming in to be like the NWO announcer. So maybe oh, this yeah. is kind of a trial run for that very idea. Hmm. Maybe. Nash and Hall beat up Jim Powers at ringside. They roll him into the ring where Teddy Long is asking Randy Anderson what he's going to do about this. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think Randy Anderson is going to use? He weighs like 85 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> right. Like Teddy Long is a tiny person, but yeah. that's like he's asking the smaller person <laughs> what he's going to do about it. Anderson tells the camera that this isn't WCW, and he wants no part of this. He takes off his little bow tie yes. like he's surrendering his badge and his gun. <laughs> his authority is bestowed to him by his bow tie. Yeah. Turn in your bow tie. <laughs> You're too reckless. <laughs> in this organization, we do it by the book. <laughs> the giant... Uh, <laughs> Let me get through this. Yeah. The Giant announces that the match will now be Jim Powers versus himself, the Giant. Nick Patrick shows up to take Randy Anderson's place. 
Wall Street just fucks off to the back. He does. He's left the scene of the crime. He I does totally, not care. I totally forgot about him. You can see him in the background. He just is like, oh, looks like these guys have control of the situation, so I'll just be going. Or he's like, well, I'm still getting paid to do this. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, Nick Patrick shows up to take Randy Anderson's place. Teddy Long gets in his face, and they argue for a bit about Patrick's loyalties. Wall Street... Oh, I already mentioned that. Giant makes a big show of running the ropes. Uh, he makes like, a what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even do that on purpose. I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> he makes a big show of running the ropes. Yeah. You have not seen someone exaggerate running the ropes like this since that... Uh, that match where Triple H and Shawn Michael, Michaels yeah. pretend to have a match for the European Championship. Yep. But it's that level of like comical rope running. Mm-hmm. Except for instead of Triple H or Shawn Michaels, it's the giant. Yeah. So it's like that much funnier. Especially since he, he has to do that thing where he has to kind of like crouch down a yeah. little bit just to make yeah. sure he hits the ropes right. I thought it was pretty I thought he was really entertaining for that little moment actually. For like the twenty seconds, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he then Irish whips powers into a corner. He high-fives the Outsiders, then goes for a choke slam. But Powers thinks that it's a punch, like the where he reaches yeah. for... The, so he bumps. <laughs> yep. Giant has to pick him up from the mat, grab him by the <laughs> neck, and then hit the choke slam proper. In a split screen, Hulk Hogan sprays NWO on a wall backstage at the arena. Nick Patrick counts the three, and the Giant wins the match? A ref counted three, so I guess that was a, a legal match that happened? By the way, if you, if you notice when they go to the split screen... Hogan, he he comes out from acro- around the corner. Yep. But initially, you see him run down the hallway t- around the corner first. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, they totally catch him like getting getting set up, and then he comes out like, oh, I'm walking down the hallway from over here. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. He uh he also like sprays NWO on the wall, and then does like two sort of like wavy lines just to the bottom right of it like yeah. he clearly has no artistic inclination at all like it's so random and it makes no sense it's like that's bad graffiti hulk you're yeah you are bad at this yeah he's like what comes after nwo it's like nothing it doesn't have to be anything <laughs> just nwo hogan bangs on a locker room door and the nasty boys answer hogan congratulates brian Nobbs on the occasion of his sister getting married this weekend a little bit of like dumb backstage info i did not care about wait if his sister got married do you think it was to greg the hammer valentine wait a second it could have been do we stumble upon like that factoid unless brian Nobbs married greg valentine's sister Instead of his sister marrying oh, Greg. boy, I don't care. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I've exhausted this conversation, that's <laughs> for sure. My head hurts. Let's move on. He then congratulates uh, both men on all their tag team success. <laughs> Hogan says that they've always been friends, but they've never really talked business. But tonight is NWO night, and the Nasties have had his back. Tonight, Hogan wants to talk business with them. He says that the Nasties don't need to worry about their match with the Outsiders later. Instead, they should just take hogan's hotel room key and pop the champagne and wait for him the nasties agree to trust hogan and forgo their match later in order to join the nwo this is a week after they finally declared or two weeks at whatever it is they finally declared like we are with wcw yeah you know they played both sides for a while and and refused to declare loyalties then they finally say we're definitely a part of wcw then they have one conversation 
with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> and they're they're in they're into it. They're into joining the NWO. It, I feel like it, they were doing like a reverse psychology because they really wanted Hogan to talk to them. And sure. he wouldn't. And he's like, well, in that case, we're totally against you yeah, if you're I, not going <laughs> to answer our phone calls. I don't even care. <laughs> they look like dorks. <laughs> After a commercial, Hogan, Hall, and Ash are back at the announce era area, and Hogan has on one of Macho's garish cowboy hats. By the way, when the Nasty Boys were leaving, uh, Hogan gave Nobbs his championship. Yeah. And for one terrifying second, there's Brian Nobbs holding a world championship Ooh, on boy. his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, move on, move on. I already had to see Johnny Grunge hold up a tag team title today. <laughs> I, how much do you think my heart can take here, guys? <laughs> the Giant, uh, acting as ring announcer again, announces Jim Ho Duggan for the next match. And I like the idea of that being a nickname. Yeah. Like, forget Hacksaw. Now you're just Jim Ho Duggan. <laughs> hey, does anyone know where Ho <laughs> is? <laughs> Hacksaw is scheduled to face Ron Studd. Why do the dumbass WCW morons keep coming out for these matches? <laughs> right. Is a question that you will be ans- asking for, like, the entire second hour of the show. Right. Especially, like, someone like... Okay, Ron Studd, he's really big. He's kind of mean. Maybe he thinks he can join the NWO. But, like, what is Hacksaw doing out there? Mm. I, to the, their credit, the character of Hacksaw Jim Duggan is a moron. Yeah. Like, you're not making him look more stupid than you did months ago when he was learning his great-grandmother was, like, a, a taped fist boxer in ancient Ireland or whatever the <laughs> fuck was going <laughs> right. on. True. Very true. <laughs> but it does seem like... Uh, like everyone's like, like lemmings going over the edge. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh no! It seems fine. Like everyone's having a good time. <laughs> uh, Ron Stud comes out for his entrance, and he is greeted by Hogan, who cheap shots him. And then Hogan and Nash uh, beat. I wrote Hogan and Nash beat incapacitate him. I guess I couldn't decide which was more accurate. Incapacitate <laughs> uh, <they>, him. <laughs> Until the NWO music hits and Six is introduced as his replacement to take on Duggan. Six appears on the top rope in the ring and Hacksaw swings for both him and Nick Patrick, though he misses both because he is bad. (laughs) He is bad. You're right. Also, at this point, I don't think we have been shown how Six is going to be spelled yet. That's true. Yes. Because, uh, Because like with the... It's like S-Y-X-X, I think, is what they finally come up with, right? Yeah, with like kind of like the the rip on sticks. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Hogan gets back on commentary, and he declares that Six is a real man. <laughs> In the ring, Hacksaw is threatening to hit Nick Patrick, so he misses a blindside by Six. Duggan comes back into the ring, and the bell rings, and this is an official match, so it's a good time to do an official 20 Years of Nitro introduction for one Six. Oh. Six is Sean Waltman, a Minneapolis native with a rough upbringing who dropped out of high school. After making his way to Florida, Waltman trained with Boris Malenko and Carl Gotch. He was billed as the Lightning Kid and worked on numerous indies as a teenager, quickly gaining a reputation as a great worker who did a lot of cool spots that helped make up for his smaller size. He worked frequently with fellow Minnesotan Jerry Lynn, who we, of course, know as Mr. JL, mm-hmm. who worked a similar uh, pr- kind of proto-cruiserweight type style. Yeah. They wrestled each other and occasionally teamed both in North America and Japan. Waltman managed to get a WWF tryout the day after WrestleMania 9, 
where he wrestled Luis Piccoli, who was also gunning for a WWF contract. Waltman had a memorable introduction to the company where he was a jobber with a changing name. He was the kamikaze kid, the cannonball kid, the kid, until suddenly he picked up a shocking upset victory over Razor Ramon on the May 17th, 1993 episode of Monday Night Raw. I remember watching that episode live as a kid. I was like 10, Mm -hmm. and it really... Like, I knew that there were big stars in WWF, and they beat guys, but it never really, like, the concept of a jobber was not something that I'd ever kind of fully explored. Uh-huh. And I remember him winning and being like, those guys can win sometimes? <laughs> like, it just amazed me. I remember that angle being just so incredible uh, and just, like, going nuts, and I was so into the one two three kid and that whole storyline. It was so cool. By far, by far, the the first, like, like moment for a raw yeah in the history of raw because it started in january so and but you don't know no one remembers anything about raw up until that point really i believe it's the same episode uh where marty Jannetty returns and challenges Shawn michaels yeah so there's like it's one episode that has two of the coolest raw moments from that era probably you're right probably the only thing that comes before that that's any good is the Mr. Perfect Ric Flair loser leaves town match. That's probably the only other good thing that had happened on a Raw. Oh, to that sure. Point. But I mean that and and I'm sure that's I don't remember that match and I'm sure it's a great match, yeah. but it's just like there wasn't like a like a moment made out of it. Right. That, sure. Like Raw's like replay it forever. Waltman then became the one, two, three kid and feuded with Razor until Razor turned babyface and began mentoring the kid, who moved on to feuding with Ted DiBiase. Kid briefly tagged with Marty Jannetty, and the two were WWF Tag Team Champions for a week after defeating the Quebecers, uh, now known as the Amazing French Canadians. They're so amazing. Backstage, Waltman became part of the clique as his sophomore sense of humor and love of pranking guys that took themselves perhaps a bit too seriously mm-hmm. uh, was right in the wheelhouse of guys like Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Kid turned heel in 1995 and feuded with Razor, losing a crybaby match at In Your House 6. His final WWF match aired on May 20th of this year as his drug and alcohol problems had become untenable and he was sent to rehab. During his time off, he decided to test the waters with WCW and ended up requesting his release. Uh, And we've talked before extensively on the show about how Vince McMahon agreed, but then WWF dragged their feet in order to screw with WCW's plans. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that at least one interview I've seen, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall do like a shoot interview together, and they both say that Waltman was the first guy out of any of them to test the waters with WCW, and they kind of heard of how much money he was getting offered, and they were friends with the guy, but they were like, if he's getting that much money from them, like, imagine how much money we could get from them. I mean, they're friends, but they're realistic of like, we're bigger names than he is. I mean, Diesel had been champion, so... Yeah, if he can get that, imagine how much money we can get, and that's what kind of snowballed this whole thing. The name Six is not only a play on his being the sixth member of the NWO, which of course only works if you don't count NWO Sting, right? Uh, but it is also a reference to the one, two, three kid days as one plus two plus three equals six. Doesn't doesn't add up to me. Uh, why it is spelled with a Y and two X's is unexplained. I assume it's trademark bullshit. It's easier to trademark that than just the regular word six. Hogan says that he has sympathy for the Macho Man, as one time he was booked for a Japan tour and then had a family tragedy. 
something about his son being hurt or he gives like a hypothetical about your son being hurt. I don't know exactly what happened, but wait, Hogan saying that Hogan is like one time I was going to Japan and I had a tragedy and I canceled my trip to come back to America. So he's like, I get why Macho Man would do that because the tragedy here is that WCW is going to die and all the other stars just went to Japan. He's like actually giving a moment of admiration for Macho Man for actually deciding not to go to Japan and sticking around to get one more butt kicking. See, this is why it should just be Hall and Nash doing the commentary. I, I kind of liked the moment, to be honest with you. But it, it's that's it's like very vintage Hogan where it's like, He's rambling on about something, and there is not a point to it, really. Sure. In the ring, Hacksaw mostly no-sells some six kicks, then takes over with strikes and an introduction of Waltman's head to the turnbuckle. Hacksaw hits an Irish whip and a hip toss as Hogan bails on announce duties. Hacksaw hits some clubber and forearms to the back as the crowd chants USA. Hacksaw <laughs> misses a back elbow and then misses a clothesline as DiBiase assures Bischoff that soon everyone will be chanting NWO. Oh, Hogan's just back on commentary now, and he says that the NWO may have to have a little talk with Jim Duggan. Hacksaw gets another Irish whip and a scoop slam. He gets ready for the three-point stance and hits a clothesline, but the giant pulls him from the ring, interrupting the following pin, and clotheslines him on the outside as Nick Patrick checks on six. The giant rolls Duggan back in the ring, and six gets the pin to mostly booze from the crowd. It, it works really effectively as a heel to have this little pipsqueak guy out there talking a bunch of shit mm-hmm. and then a big guy does his dirty work for him and then he pins him and acts like I'm the greatest I kicked his ass yeah that's just good heel stuff I like that mm-hmm. yeah and then and then um always doing like that like making sure to hook them for like the pinfall right like just putting the extra effort and making sure you got a good pin like good cover on him because you're gonna get the pinfall I was like that too Bischoff asks what it will take for the NWO to be satisfied and leave him alone, and Hogan answers that they simply want it all, and that it be in- <laughs> and that it would just be easier for Eric to change his entire life at this point. Hmm, okay, all right. Well, at least he knows now. <laughs> <laughs> we go to commercial and the sounds of the NWO theme. Uh, we get a little commercial for the WCW magazine, and when we come back, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> where do they get where this they stuff? Get this stuff. <laughs> We come back to the sounds of a man called Sting, and Eric immediately questions, saying that he knows Sting is right now either in Hollywood or Japan. So he's really narrowed it down there. (laughs) A graphic comes up specifying that the man coming to the ring is NWO Sting, making the nickname coined at Fall Brawl by Bobby Heenan now official. He gets a pop from the crowd that suggests that they are still falling for the ruse. Yes, they definitely are. That is not Sting, declares Bischoff. It's a cheap imposter, and only a sucker would fall for it. And then he realizes what he said, and he's like, "Yeah." and yes, WCW fell for it, but never again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I was right on that, too, because he's like, only an idiot would think he, oh, (laughs) shoot. Hogan claims that he is negotiating with the real Sting, and Sting is thinking about joining the NWO. If I were in negotiations like that, I probably wouldn't, like, goad him with the fake sting out there, like, kind of mocking him. Yeah. That would be something I would maybe put on the back burner for a little <laughs> bit until until I've got him signed on the dotted line. <laughs> right. Sting's opponent tonight is Bo Ledoux, whose real name is Scott Rains. He's 25. 
He's from Alabama, where of course we are this week, and he's a rookie, having made his wrestling debut earlier this year. Uh, as I, near as I can tell, he never really has a bigger moment in his career than this. This is the, you know, he's an indie guy. This is probably the highlight of his entire career. Yeah. Uh, he's managing to get on this Nitro. And here to call all the action is our own indie jobber, Dave Amantor. Yeah, so I... I, I mentioned that I liked that he came out to Sting's music and that there were a bunch of fans that, that fell for it. Even when he came out, too, they were still falling for it. I think I, I still think from a distance you could easily think that's Sting. But anyway, we get a kick in the gut and a patented NWO Sting face slam. Bo Ledoux rallies with some punches, but a whip into the corner only gets him a mouthful of boot for his efforts. The NWO Sting picks up Ledoux and drops him chest first onto the top rope. We then get a Stinger Splash and a Scorpion Deathlock later, and this one's already in the books at about a minute. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> right. Yeah, obviously, I mean, not much to say about that match. It was a nothing match. It was just kind of getting NWO Sting over as being a real dick. And I, I think it's because it's just like a novelty, and I'm pretty sure NWO Sting's not going to be around much longer. But I am kind of amused by him, like trying to still do all the the mannerisms. Yeah, especially like the 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 gorilla chest thumping right. thing. Like it just it's funny because it's like it it's obviously not him, and he's not fooling anyone. Yeah, I don't know how long. I mean, he'll he'll he's gonna be around for a while, uh, but largely in Japan. He kind of when they start NWO Japan. Yeah, uh, he goes over there, and the character really catches on in Japan. So where it was meant to be like a short-term thing, hmm. he ends up doing that gimmick for like quite a long time because it's very successful well, uh, in that. the land of the rising sun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know why I said that. Well, I, That's not racist, right? That's like an okay thing. I can say that, right? Well, they call it the land of the rising sun. Okay, good. Um, I was about to say, since I have like the, the New Japan world, now I should be like, oh, yeah. I, I should find... The NWO Sting matches. You absolutely should. See if he wrestles Masahiro Chono. No, Chono was in the NWO. Yeah, yeah. So they're, what, they're probably, what was I thinking? Oh, you idiot. <laughs> DiBiase says that Hall and Nash are warming up for, quote, the first ever competition headed towards the World Tag Team Tournament of the NWO. No, he didn't say that. I don't know what on earth that sentence means, but that's exactly what he said. I wrote it down verbatim. I... <laughs> So I assume that clarifies everything for you, right, Dave? <laughs> I feel like Bischoff was like, we really have to explain this, yeah. and you're going to explain it. <laughs> this is the first ever competition headed towards the tournament. <laughs> and it's the World Tag Team Tournament of the NWO. So what is that? Who knows what that means? I can't wait to see the brackets after this. <laughs> Hogan promises to beat Macho real bad at Caesar's Palace and says that there will be no more of Macho's friends interfering. He says that all his Hollywood friends are fighting over ringside seat for Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, Arsenio Hall, Gene Hackman, Stallone, and Schwarzenegger. Gene Hackman? <laughs> yeah, he names a bunch of like guys that Hulk Hogan probably would be friends with, and one of, but then also Gene ha Oscar nominee Gene Hackman. Yeah, I was about to say... Because he was saying like that um, Savage's friends wouldn't come in. Yeah. When has friends ever saved him? Yeah, I don't know. He's never been, like, what, Elizabeth? 
<laughs> I guess. Is, is, is that I a guess. threat? Is that a threat to him? As we go to commercial, DiBiase muddies the water further, saying that we'll be back with the first ever NWO tag team tournament match. So does that... Are you clear now, Dave? <laughs> does that help? So... D- did they just did they just advance in those few seconds? They went from the prelude to yeah. I, I well, hope, the prelims are happening in Japan right now, and they're getting results over their headset. I, I I hope that they're just fucking with people at this point because that's so confusing. <laughs> yeah, that it would be it would make sense that they're just messing with you. <laughs> like by the time they get to the ring, it's already the semifinals. <laughs> when we come back from commercial, high voltage come out. Bischoff says that this was scheduled to be High Voltage versus the Amazing French Canadians, which is a very weird scheduled main event for Nitro, (laughs) but hey, whatever you say. DiBiase says that changes needed to be made, and I kind of agree with him if that was really your main event plan. (laughs) Right. I... So then, wait, what were the Nasty Boys excused from doing? They were going to face the Outsiders tonight. Okay, so... That was probably the main event, right? I suppose you're right. That probably was the main event. But now it's just not happening because the Nasty Boys have headed off to the hotel to pop champagne. Yeah. <laughs> with with the NWO, who they are sworn to fight against <laughs> last week. Still outcome Pierre, Carl Ouellette, and Jacques Rougeau. No, no one told them. <laughs> Jacques asks everyone to stand up for the Canadian national anthem. DiBiase makes fun of his bald spot, because I guess that's just something the NWO are going to pick on for now. Oh, Rougeau's? Yeah. And the Canadians poorly sing O Canada in French until the outsiders walk out. So if you have any doubts about these cool heels being presented in a way that makes you want to cheer them, notice here how they're interrupting much less popular heels who are doing bad singing. (laughs) Like, clearly WCW is presenting them in a way where I am meant to cheer them here. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. Giant welcomes to the ring the dynamic duo, the often imitated but never duplicated. Another little shot at the uh, WWF. I see what you did there, Giant. The masters of disaster, Hall and Nash. <laughs> the French Canadians just leave. Yep. They just head out. <laughs> they fuck right off. Did you buy them off, asked Bischoff? Nah, they're just smart, replies Hogan. <laughs> Hall and Nash play rock, paper, scissors. Hall wins. So he starts off the match with Kenny Chaos. On commentary, Hogan brags about how scared Elizabeth is of him, which Mm. is a creepy and bad thing to brag about. Yeah. (laughs) But he's a heel, so I mean, I guess I'm going to allow that. (laughs) Hall and Chaos lock up, and Hall shoves Chaos into the ropes. For some reason, Chaos sells this as if he's hurt. He falls to the mat from the ropes, grabbing (laughs) the back of his head as if, as if, because Nash is behind him. So I think maybe he thought Nash hit him in the back of the head like doing an interference spot, but yeah. that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, bummer. So he sells it for no real discernible reason. For no reason. Hall works the arm a bit until Chaos reverses it and works a wrist lock of his own. Hall reverses a hammer lock into one of his own, then releases it and slaps Chaos. Hall whips Kenny into the corner and follows him with a clothesline. Hall slaps on an STF and then lets go and disrespectfully slaps Chaos again before tagging in Big Kev. On commentary, Hogan takes issue with Bischoff complaining about the NWO, saying that he spent two years wearing the red and yellow and being a WCW leader, but the fans couldn't get with the program. (laughs) Nash gets a knee lift in the ring and Hogan says the goal of the NWO is to take it all and disintegrate World Championship Wrestling. By the way, just... 
in that little time that Hall was in the ring, it's like, oh, right. He's like, he knows he can actually work. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. He's really good. And it's just like, it's such a throwaway inconsequential match, but he's yeah. like, no, I'm just going to put like a lot of effort into it. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Him and Nash, and, and Nash doesn't have a long list, but like him and Nash hit all the major points of their offense in this match. Like mm-hmm. there's not a real big move that either guy does that does not happen in this match. Yeah. Nash hits more knees in the corner. Things slow down a bit, and we go to commercial right after a Nash sidewalk slam. When we return, Hall has chaos in a submission hold, and Bischoff warily welcomes us back to NWO Nitro, which he can just barely get out between DiBiase and Hogan rambling. It actually adds to his annoyance in a fun way that he's trying to do, like, normal announce things. These two assholes are just talking. He's just being bullied, and it's kind of funny by the end of it. Mm -hmm. Nash comes in and casually tosses chaos, over to Robbie Rage. The Outsiders are just playing with these jabronis, allowing Rage to tag in. Rage comes in and Nash boots him in the gut, and Robbie sells this like he's been worked over for 20 minutes. (laughs) Hogan says that his kids told him that they would be watching Nitro with the NWO hats on and cheering every time Hulkster punches or kicks the Macho Man. His kids sound like real sociopaths. <laughs> oh, wait, they are. Yeah, they pretty <laughs> much are. I This is just another moment where it's like, oh, great. There's a there's a there's a pause. Yeah. Hogan has opportunity to say whatever's on his <laughs> mind. And you just realize that he just he's like borderline with like yeah. savage and warrior as far as like. It seems like you have a semblance of a thought here, but then it's just like, what what do we just what do we accomplish? Right. So Hogan says he's looking to forward to beating up Macho Man one more time for his kids. <laughs> then I'll beat my kids. <laughs> Nash Nash hits Rage with snake eyes. Hogan says that he's built every organization he's ever been in and shown them the path. But the moment they've deviated from his direction, he's burned down all the trees in the forest. <laughs> Yeah, he really has. <laughs> Nash drops the leg on the back of Rage, who is draped across the middle rope. Hogan wonders why WCW couldn't keep up with Hulk Hogan and his sold-out arenas, record television ratings, and the stardom. (laughs) WCW started second-guessing him. Nash tags in Hall, who hits a discus punch in a fallaway slam, as Hogan goes on about how great he is. Hall chops Rage a bit and then tags Nash back in. Nash chokes Rage with his boot and then hits some elbows. Kevin Nash hits a short-arm lariat and flips his hair. Hulk talks again about his celebrity friends and says Schwarzenegger in a pronunciation that I'm not entirely comfortable with. <laughs> just, I don't. Not like, from you, Hulkster. <laughs> just, this does not like even get close to like describing how painful this segment is. Nash levels Rage with a big boot and tags in Hall. Hall hits a side suplex from the top rope. He signals for the end as Hogan says that after he beats the Macho Man in Vegas, he hopes that that sissy Mike Tyson climbs in the ring so that he can superplex him off the top rope. (laughs) Okay, I want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) The Outsiders toss Rage over to Tegan Chaos, who is the victim of a jackknife powerbomb, and the Outsiders each place a boot on him for the arrogant dual pin Mm. and the victory. Mm, mm, mm. We see some replays, and Hogan goes on more about Mike Tyson. (laughs) He says that after the show tonight, he has a very serious business meeting with the Nasty Boys. (laughs) 
I don't know that any very serious business occurs with two men named the Nasty Boys. <laughs> right. Six, you're too much. <laughs> beautiful, gentlemen. Absolutely beautiful. Hey, six, you're too much. Hey, man. Get a, you know get what, brother? Close up of the you guy. Get a close up the Hollywood <laughs> guys. What? You know something, big man? You want to wrap it up, buddy? We start filming my new movie, The Three Ninjas of Mega Mountain, in a couple weeks. I invite the whole NWO to be on the set. Yeah, you said I could be in your trailer. You're going to be in the movie, brother. In the movie? You're going to be in the movie with me, brother. I am. You know, I am SAG. The MGM brand. Have a good time. Bischoff. You're a very special man. What do you mean by that? Look at him. He's a, he's, a, he's the eighth one of the world. Special. Don't ever forget it. By yeah. the way, hey. you did an excellent job. Yeah, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give Mr. Bischoff first time. Mike. That was fantastic. Very good. Hey, you look great in that outfit. Hey, I gotta know something. I gotta know something. Every wrestling history tonight, we've taken over your company. How do you feel, for God's sake? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta know something, man. Hey, An is Andre really your dad, man? Andre really your dad? Yeah. <laughs> Be back next dad. week when the NWO returns one more time. Sit down, bitch. Hey, what you gonna do when the largest arms in the world in the NWO run wild on you? <laughs> Goodbye from <laughs> The outsiders join the rest of the gang at the announce booth, and they all fuck with Eric some more. Replays air of the NWO attacking Savage earlier. Eric tries to close the show, but Scott Hall has stolen his headset. Hall puts it on, but gets too distracted by his own flexing to say anything. <laughs> Hogan plugs the start of the filming for his new movie, Three Ninjas at Mega Mountain, <laughs> which by the time it's actually released is renamed Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. Oh, well, that makes more sense. He says that he's invited the entire NWO to hang out on set. Just what those child actors need. Scott Hall and Sean Waltman popping somas on set and calling them marks for bothering to learn their lines. <laughs> Not going to get anywhere in the business doing that. <laughs> Why you let the director talk to you that way, kid? <laughs> Who's he? Who's he ever beat? <laughs> what house he ever draw? <laughs> Mr. Hall, you're peeing on the floor again. What did you do? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Giant yells something about how Hulk promised to make him a big movie star. You're a very special man, says Nash reassuringly. <laughs> Don't worry, you're still important to us. <laughs> what do you mean by that, says Eric, who thinks that Nash is talking to him. <laughs> Look at him, he's the eighth wonder of the world, says Nash, as the giant bellows, I am special. Don't forget it. <laughs> It's this weird moment of crosstalk. Bischoff doesn't know who's talking to who. <laughs> it's very strange. Oh. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Hall grabs Eric's headset again to ask the giant if Andre is really his dad. <laughs> giant clearly was not expecting that question <laughs> and has no idea how he's allowed to react to it. <laughs> so he just awkwardly smiles like completely out of character, just genuinely smiling uncomfortably. Yeah. And then he just says... Oh, Hall repeats the question like he's really pressing the issue. <laughs> right. And Giant just says, why do you have to go there, man? <laughs> <laughs> and that is basically the end of our show. Oh. Dave Amantorp, you sound like you did not enjoy <laughs> this episode <laughs> of Nitro very much. Nope. N nope. Didn't really. I yeah. mean, it was like, it was like a, a tale of two Nitros. Yeah. But the first half was just like, a slightly below average nitro. Yeah. 
And then the second half was the worst thing you could imagine. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, for one thing, it was just, it, it seemed like it was a nonstop, like, garbage match. Right. Yes. And, like, any idea they had on paper about, like, the Giant doing the announcing and all the commentary, it, it just, they must have thought it was going to come off a lot better than it did. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we talked earlier about how one of the lines on WCW and the NWO or Nitro, kind of the story of Nitro, is that the NWO eventually became uncool, added too many crappy guys, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think one of the stories of Nitro is also that eventually the NWO just became too dominant. And I don't mean dominant in terms of beating everyone, although that's an issue too, mm -hmm. but too dominant in terms of just the focal point of everything. Yeah. And literally an entire half of the show was just them fucking around. Right. And it got really boring. They did not seem cool except for like little flashes here and there where things were kind of funny. Yeah. But overall, it just was a slog to get through. Yeah. Um, I watched this, like I had mentioned earlier, I watched this like two weeks ago. I had done all my notes and then it was, you know, we had to work on scheduling recording. By the time we got here, I'd forgotten a lot of it. So I watched most of it again mm -hmm. and I couldn't even get through the second hour another time. I was like, no, I'm just going to go off my notes because I cannot keep watching this. This is brutal. Right. Yeah. And, and it was just, I don't know. They, I don't know if they felt like. Oh, you know, the NWO is entertaining. They'll they'll make up the time or, right. or something like that because it just felt like a lot of it was not really planned out either. Yeah. And and I just I can't imagine like if you're one of the wrestlers in the back, like if you they didn't give you anything to do today, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Imagine being a live audience member at this, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, that would just be I would hate sitting through this show. It was not fun to watch on my own couch where I could like fuck with my phone or like pause and go to the bat like just do random you know other things i need to do i can't imagine paying my money and sitting down in an arena and this is what yeah. i get so we got um so the day before yesterday I, I i watched to the point where i had my the first two matches that i was gonna do the play-by-play -play for yeah and then i have like the nwo sting was the third so my idea was like i'll do half now and then half the next night yeah but then once i got going with the NWO stuff, I'm like, oh, I just want to get this fucking over with. Yeah. That was the, my immediate reaction was like, I do not want to have to, like the idea of sitting through it was so displeasing that I was like, let me, let's just do it now. You know, it, this was just, like I said, they, they must have one thought as far as like how it would go, but they just, they left too much to like, improvisational skills yeah and there's a lot of people in the nwo that yeah. don't have those skills <laughs> all right well before we recap what was taking place over on the other channel we should mention that last night september 22nd the world wrestling federation held in your house mind games and tommy dreamer and the sandman of ecw were shown at ringside before they got involved a little bit in the Savio Vega versus Justin Bradshaw match. Oh, no, not that match. And were, and were thrown out of the arena. <laughs> this was part of an angle put together by Vince McMahon, who is looking for some publicity uh, and a creative shot in the arm, uh, as well as kind of an NWO ripoff, I might point out, mm -hmm. an invading force from another organization. Uh, and, of course, Paul Heyman, who knows that he can get a lot of exposure by getting ECW on WWF's television. So kind of you can see where both men thought this was a smart team-up. 
Yeah. So we'll kind of see where it goes from there. And <laughs> the thing is, it's like when it comes to the invasion, yeah. like sort of aspect, it's like WWF's kind of doing it a little bit better because it's like they're legitimately from another promotion. Right. Right. It's like if they if they had a way to kind of roll with this a little bit more, it would have been like, you know, they would just be like topping what the NWO is doing. Po- or possibly. Uh, yeah, I no, mean, I can see that. I, there's definitely an argument to be made there for sure. On Raw, meanwhile, Mark Mero defeated Farouk to win the Intercontinental title. Uh, that was something that was supposed to be on the pay-per-view, the finals of the Intercontinental title tournament. Uh-huh. But it was bumped to Raw because Vince is getting concerned about being beaten in the ratings every week. Oh, okay. Uh, Vader defeated Henry Godwin. Ooh. The British Bulldog and Owen Hart defeated the Body Donnas. The Stalker, Barry Windham, defeated... Well, he's not referred to as Barry Windham, just I'm saying that for our benefit, but just yeah. the Stalker mm-hmm. defeated uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And Jim Ross turned heel and introduced fake Razor Ramon, who then got beat up by Savio Vega. Uh, they also aired a segment that exposed Jeff Jarrett as a fake for not really singing uh, at some concert that he recently performed on like TV or pay-per-view. Uh-huh. They show that he was lip syncing. Uh, that's being done, of course, as Jarrett is on his way out of the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> Everything he's built up as a character, they're, they're tearing down. <laughs> and they're going to show who really is singing, who... Uh, will end up being Brian James, the road dog Jesse James, of mm-hmm. course. In our ratings roundup, uh, I want to mention a little bit as we talk about this that, as I mentioned in The Observer this week, Dave Meltzer really hammers home how desperate the WWF has got. Uh, they've got the payoff for Razor Ramon and Diesel coming back that they've been promising. Mm-hmm. They've got the angle on ECW and the pay-per-view. They moved the Intercontinental uh, Finals to Raw. Plus, they should be getting the usual post-pay-per-view bump. You usually get a little bump the Monday after your pay-per-view. Yep. Uh, it's live, so none of the results can have leaked on the internet or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, oh, and also WCW has cheerfully admitted that many of their major stars will not be on their show. That's a good point. Uh, Raw still got a 2.0, and Nitro got a 3.4, oh. uh, almost identical to the record-setting margin that went in WCW's favor last week. Boy, that must have been a rough night for Vince. Now, if he can find any solace, uh, and if there's anything, conversely, that should be giving Eric Bischoff concern, even though he just won the total matchup so convincingly, Nitro had risen to a 4.1 rating at one point, and every following quarter, so that's basically at the end of hour one, kind of when Macho Man was coming out, they were at around a 4.1. Mm-hmm. Every following quarter dropped from a 3.7 uh, to a 3.1 and then finished with a 3.2. So that is a huge drop off in the uh, second hour yeah. from a 4.1 down to at one point a 3.1. And it is the second straight huge drop that WCW has seen on Nitro when they've done a big NWO angle in the second hour. During the first 30 minutes of the NWO takeover, WCW lost 33% of its adult viewership, 27% of its kids, and even 16% of its teenagers. Uh, And Dave notes that in kind of something interesting, none of those groups seem to switch to Raw in any major numbers. So we kind of... um, Oh, they just sort of like, fuck this. Yeah, (laughs) we've talked about how, you know, I think there's a perception that people were wrestling fans and they would watch either one of these shows. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, if you really look at the numbers, there are WCW fans and there are WWF fans. 
there is a portion of them that will watch either kind of based on what's better. Yeah. But there are some people where they're just turning off Nitro. They're not turning on Raw. They're just like, well, fuck this show. Yeah. And they're finding something other than wrestling. Mm-hmm. So that's something that Bischoff is going to really need to, I think, start looking at. Because if you're just looking at that you're beating the WWF, you're not going to see some of the underlying problems that, if not addressed, are going to bite you in the ass pretty harshly. Right. And and it's by all indications is like the one of the big reasons is because like the nwo is cool but there's like there's already hints that like you they really have to like present them better right because even though they're dominating they're doing it in such a an uncool fashion that people will eventually be like oh no i'm not interested in that right. anymore now one thing for wcw to be happy about it was the first uh head-to-head matchup where WCW beat WWF in teenage viewers. Uh, WWF usually has about a 55 to 45% edge with teens, uh, but tonight WCW actually got 66% of teenage viewers uh, that were watching wrestling that night. So uh, that's certainly something to be pop, uh, happy about. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a good demographic as far as advertising goes. Yeah. That's going to bring us to a little segment that we call Observe This. Observe this, brother! This is what we call a rag sheep. sheep. J.J. Dillon started working in the offices of World Championship Wrestling on Tuesday. Hmm. Bischoff had a pep talk right before Nitro this night uh, where he told the wrestlers that he wanted to beat McMahon by 1.5 in the ratings again, just like they did last week, which they almost replicated. He also told the wrestlers that Dylan would be coming in, and he apologized to Kevin Sullivan uh, because Dylan's going to be taking some of his responsibilities. Uh, he said that Dylan's going to be my uh, Bischoff's assistant, and he'd heard that Dylan was a good organizer and said that he was apologizing publicly to Sullivan because uh, kind of there in front of all the boys was the first time that he'd had a chance to tell sullivan about dylan joining the company (laughs) awkward the special four-day wcw versus new japan pro wrestling tournament that was the centerpiece of wcw's tour over in japan was considered a big success scott norton had the best performance in the tournament of any wcw performance uh reaching the final four which was better than lex luger rick flair steven regal arn anderson and marcus bagwell who was subbing for scott hall Norton got a shoulder injury, though, in his quarterfinal match against Hiroshi Tenzan. Speaking of injuries in Japan, Ric Flair also sustained a shoulder injury on the tour, and right now Meltzer is not sure how long the Nature Boy may be out of action. It turns out that it is a pretty serious injury. Flair wrote in his book about this incident, quote, My shoulder was already troubling me when, on September 23, 1996, Kensuke Sasaki fell on me in a ring in Japan, completely tearing my rotator cuff flair will stick around uh, pretty much through his entire recovery as an on-screen character but we will not actually see him have another match for over six months wow and that's significant because if you remember he's actually the united states champion he's the united states champion uh as far as uh just you and my preferences go he was both of our mvp for the first year of nitro mm-hmm. so that is a huge huge loss especially especially since last couple weeks have shown like we could use someone like flair to kind of (laughs) bring a little bit more life to the show yeah 
also on that tour, also on that tour, we mentioned before that Kurosawa was having a series of nine matches to see whether he had to go back to WCW or not. Oh, yeah. Uh, he won six of them, so he doesn't have to go back. Yay. He even beat Ric Flair, submitting him via torture rack. Uh, interestingly, Sony Sonny Ono was over in Japan as Bischoff's representative, and he was supposed to manage Kurosawa, but Kurosawa refused to allow Ono to be in his corner. <laughs> It's kind of interesting because some guys like Ultimo Dragon will treat him with a measure of respect or at least like allow him to come out. Yeah. And then there's guys who are just like, no, you get the fuck back there. <laughs> right. Sting <laughs> wrestled on the tour, teaming with Lex Luger, no less. Huh. He's supposed to be taking a bit of time off now, though, to film uh, a scene for Liar Liar, the Jim Carrey movie. However, the scene ends up not being in the movie, so I'm not sure if he ever actually goes to get filmed or not. Uh, that's where Bischoff was talking about he wasn't sure if Sting was in Hollywood or Japan. Because I <laughs> right. think he was going, he was in Japan for this tour, and then he was flying to Hollywood to, to shoot Liar Liar. That's the thing. People never know where Sting is at any You just time. never know. No. Uh, I tell this story because it's going to have a payoff in a few weeks. On the Memphis television show on September 21st, Jerry Lawler gave an anti-WCW promo saying that Nitro was going to be coming to Memphis on October 14th and all their stars will be there, including Jimmy Hart, who Lawler said was a lounge singer making $95 a week until Jerry got him into wrestling. He also told the fans not to be idiots and buy tickets to the show Ooh. because you can just watch it for free on TV or get a free ticket anywhere in town. Claiming the last time WCW was in Memphis, they gave away 7,000 free tickets. Yeah, that's a, I, if you want to beat them in ratings, tell the fans to watch them on TV. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we will actually uh, kind of come back to that story in a few weeks' time. Okay. Terry Bam Bam Gordy is leaving ECW to go to the WWF as, do you remember? Uh Oh, Terry Gordy. Yep as he's gonna be in wwf it's mm, pretty brief he's under a mask oh, he is managed by paul bearer the executioner oh that's right <laughs> yes oh now i feel dumb not knowing <laughs> it, it is soup it is super brief but it, and, but he's in like the buried alive match he yeah, shows yep, up for that yep. yeah uh, Meltzer says that it appears, as of right now anyway, that Kurt Angle is interested in continuing in amateur competition until the 2000 Olympics, and he will not be taking the offers that have been given him by WWF Def and WCW. Definitely not. Definitely not taking uh, any of those offers. Can't win them all. And hey, you know what might have been true as the week Meltzer reported this, and maybe Angle just changed his mind. You know, who knows? There's some real concern, according to Dave, that Randy Savage will leave for the WWF following Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, <laughs> as he has been very unhappy with things and his contract is either expiring soon or has already expired, but he needs to do the match to fulfill his contractual obligations to Slim Jim. <laughs> Dave's not sure. Could be either one. Essentially, either way, he's roped into that particular match. And yeah. as he gets a cut of the buy rate and everything, I'm sure he wants it to... Well, no, he doesn't, because he just has the flat guaranteed contract. I think only Hogan has the, the buy rate thing. But yeah. He still probably wants to be success. Why not? Savage is fucked either way. Uh, negotiations to bring Mean Gene Okerlund back to World Championship Wrestling are still ongoing. And lastly, this note, Hogan wanted to pile drive Miss Elizabeth at the Fall Brawl pay-per-view, but Bischoff overruled it, 
figuring that word may get to Ted Turner and they would all wind up in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> so he's he's start, he's embracing the heel thing, you know. <laughs> so Dave, that is going to bring us to one last thing. Oh no. It is a real brutal one tonight. Mm. Your mm. match of the mm. night mm. and your mm. MVP. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> <laughs> um oh god, seriously. I don't even know which one to start with. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, match of the night. Well, let me think about match of the night here. All right, I'll say my match of the night. Um, or segment. Or segment. Oh god, man. Um, I'm gonna give it to the close of the show when the giant wanted to feel special and Bischoff <laughs> thought Kevin Nash was talking to him and then giant bellowed that he is special and Bischoff shouldn't forget it. Yeah. Uh, because I genuinely laughed and I wasn't just laughing at them. Like I was, I thought they were actually being legitimately funny and entertaining and this show did not have very much that was funny or entertaining. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go <laughs> with that as my, that two minute segment as yeah. my segment of the night. Yeah. Um, um, I'll go with, I'll more so call it a segment than a match. Sure. But that's Glacier. Okay. Um, yeah, fair enough. I, I think two weeks in a row, I, I feel like he's looked pretty good. Um, I still, I really like his leg sweep. I think that's a pretty sweet move. It, it, it's just, it's a, it's a little bit more interesting to me than his, like his finisher back kick, you know, that's yeah. pretty ordinary, but his sweep three cool. Um, yeah, and I, I think, yeah. I had imagined, like, trying to think back on this, yeah. that, like, the Glacier matches didn't, like, come off very well or he looked really bad in the ring. Yeah. But I think, especially, I, like I said last week, I really like the way that he has, like, a different stance, different approach to yeah. wrestling. It's just something different. Mm -hmm. Again, I mean, I am not a fan of the blue lighting, and we'll see how long that lasts. But um, I would say at this point, Glacier's two for two as far as his Nitro appearances are concerned. Um, we'll see if he's able to, if they'll advance him to like a more significant opponents or if they're going to kind of give him more like these jobber matches. But uh, I mean, there really is not anything. There's not a lot of positive going this show. So yeah. that this is more like a, a default, but that will be my match slash segment of the night. All right. I'm going to give my MVP to the giant. Uh, he had some funny moments like the one I just mentioned. He had the moment where he, uh, ran the ropes in a really funny way. Mm -hmm. He had the ring introductions where he remembered like long lists of titles for Hogan, and then another uh, similar thing when he did that for the Outsiders. Uh -huh. Um, so on a show that did not have much that entertained me, I thought about giving it to Bischoff because I liked his sort of aggrieved, bullied tone that he had through the second hour. Uh -huh. But on the same side of things, Bischoff was the one who kind of okayed this entire show existing in this way. <laughs> right. So I can't in in good conscience award him <laughs> for this episode. He had a terrible plan, but he executed his part well. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna give my MVP to the Giant. My MVP, I am going to go with the outsiders. Um just for the fact that like when there was those brief moments that it was just Hall and Ash talking on commentary. You did there was like 
there was potential there, especially since they keep hinting at this idea of like a, a NWO show. Yeah. Like if they did something where they presented it and then like Hall and Nash were doing commentary, I could really get into that. I think those two are really good, are really great like talk. Especially yeah. like they made Jim Powers more interesting than he's ever been. Just talk yeah. about like, you look good. By <laughs> just saying he's on steroids. <laughs> yeah. And, and say like how people are impressed with his physique at the gym. <laughs> no, I think they're very, those two are very entertaining. I especially, I think Scott Hall has like a, a, a real knack for like the commentary thing. No kidding. It seemed like that could have been something that would, you could have done and did in the future for uh, like p- p- after his wrestling career. But um, yeah, I would say, because there's a lot of this stuff with NWO that did not go over very well, but I felt those two, when they had them on the microphones, they did their part really well. So I'm going to give them my MVP, but it's also with the caveat that the show was terrible. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. We've This is a long one. We've talked. Well, we had that Fortune Bania story that we just had to share with you. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, the... Yeah. Yep. So we, that's we good. we got a long ways to go still before Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. We do. We've, we're continuing our build. Let's see if next week is any better. Uh, just to put a tease in your ear, uh, I believe that the Wrestling Observer from next week says that it is the worst episode of Nitro yet. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> we've got that to look forward to. Oh, wait. Next week is? Yes. Yep. Like keeping in mind that he watched this week. Yes, he was not a fan of this week, but he oh in next week's goodness. observer says that next week's Nitro see, is the worst one yet. See, and I know I'm going to regret it, but now I'm curious. Yeah, but I know that a bad Nitro is not entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've like suddenly jumped in a time machine and we're in the year 2000, wa- like watching <laughs> bad Nitros. <laughs> Like things were so good for a while there. What is what has happened? Right, but and it's like it's something where it's like when you look at the recap, it's like, oh, that seems kind of fun. Like the recap that I read for this Nitro yeah. that we just did sounded like morbidly interesting because it's like this match happened. Uh, the giant was still doing commentary. These guys were still bowling Bischoff. It sounded like it was like this train wreck that would have been enjoyable to watch, but it wasn't. And now now here comes next week. And I'm still optimistic there'll be, like, an enjoyable train wreck, but right. I guess we'll have to wait and find out on that one. All right. Well, if that doesn't tease you for joining us right here where the big boys play next time, I don't know what will. So either way, we'll see you soon. I already said the big boys play part, so I don't really yep. know what to say now, but this show has been 20 years of Nitro. Powers is definitely full of beef tonight. He looks stacked and ready to go. He is Powers jacked by all means. Oh, yeah. All juiced up and ready to go. All the guys in the gym think he's looking good. Jimmy, you're looking looking good. He's obviously been training hard. Saying his prayers, probably taking his vitamins.